the Arena Football Hall of Fame has returned, and we want you to become a part of the family. Introducing the Arena Football Hall of Fame Patreon. Whether an all-star or a Hall of Famer, our reasonably priced tiers each have their own exclusive perks. Early access to the AFL Rewind podcast, honorary selection committee member, and much more. Help us build a Hall of Fame we'll all be proud of. Head to patreon.com slash AF Hall of Fame to join. Welcome to AFL Rewind, a look back at all things arena football, sponsored by Phenom Elite. I'm your host, Tim Capper. Well, fans have a love-hate relationship when it comes to coaches. They're, you're going to love them when they're winning, and you're going to hate them when they're losing. And on top of that, you know they are the spokesperson to you, to the media, to try to explain why your said team did good or bad You know the, the, that past week versus whomever. But... The thing is about coaches, though, is that they all have a story. How they got to where they were, trying to get to that pinnacle of to being a head coach for a championship team. Whether they started off as a player and made their, you know, made their way up through the ranks in order to get to that spot, or, as a lot of them have done in the Iranian Football League, actually started off as a coach first. Whether it been an assistant or whatever, they were able to go ahead and start their career that way. Well, the gentleman that we're going to be speaking with this episode made a name for himself as a player and a coach in the AF2, and then made a huge name for himself as an assistant and a head coach in the Arena Football League. This episode, we're going to be speaking with Rob Key, and in this interview, you're going to be able to hear his ups and downs as an assistant coach, as a player for a very short period of time, and obviously his success as being a coach and considering how many championships that he won as a player and a head coach, he had a very successful career. So without further ado, Rob Keefe. Well, with us this episode is a gentleman who is very well known for uh, so much energy that this guy has. Um, very re- well respected, also an Arena Bowl champion. With us is uh, a, uh, was it two-time? What are you, one-time? Here it is, two-time, two-time Arena Cup champion, three-time Arena Bowl champion, Rob Keefe, hey coach, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Tim. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, we, we know about your history with Albany. We'll get to that in a little bit more, and obviously with the other teams in the AFL. But we want to start off with your career as a player first. Um, you got you started off with the Spokane Shock in uh, 2006, 2007. Um, what got you involved, and what you know specifically with arena football? Who introduced you to the game? Yeah, no, so we go all the way back. So this would be uh, 2004. Oh, okay. Um, I graduated, yeah, I graduated from a small college, uh, Mercyhurst University, uh, Division II school, um, had some workouts uh, with some NFL teams, uh, didn't pan out, didn't sign a contract, you know, didn't get invited to camp, um, uh, had some workouts with some CFL teams. You know, obviously the CFL does a lot within the states where you're working out, uh, you know, almost kind of a tryout basis to get noticed. And then eventually – it gets to a point you say, well, what are your options? What do you do? Uh, you know, speaking with my agent at that time, he said, hey, there's this, you know, thing called arena football. Well, when I started, uh, I did not know what arena football was. I might have watched a, a few games uh, back on the NBC days uh, in the early 2000s, but really just didn't have an understanding of what it was. I was living in Atlanta at the time uh, in 2004, 
and I saw a uh, I saw a flyer in the Gold's Gym that I was working out in uh, right downtown in the heart of Atlanta, and it was for a open workout uh, for an Arena Two team. Okay, uh, and they were called the Columbus War Dogs, and so John Forcade. Uh, who I, uh, I'm very grateful for this day, uh, gave me my first opportunity. I drove uh, three hours uh, south from Atlanta to Columbus, Georgia, uh, for an 8 o'clock workout. You know, one of those big deals where you wake up at 5 in the morning, drive down there, get down there at times, so you can stretch out for this open workout where, you know, hundreds of players shows up. You have a, a Columbus War Dog t-shirt, have no idea, you know, did the best I could, figured out what the dimensions were, how the game was played and worked out for the Columbus War Dogs. And, and for me, the, the rest really was history. It was, uh, you know, I was signed, uh, you know, right then and there, uh, which was cool. And I had to work my way up. I mean, I, I, you know, I really didn't know the game, really had to, you know, put my time and my effort in. And, and it was uh, three, three full seasons or maybe two and a half seasons in the Arena 2 League before I was able to make it to the AFL once I got the game down and, and never looked back. How was it? You're talking about how how tough the game itself was. I mean, how did you yourself as a DB? How did you get used to the game itself? Because as you said, got to get used to the walls, got to get used to the new motion. Because there's not really any motion in in college. There's no motion in the NFL. How did you get used to? How did you really get uh, get acclimated to this game? Well, you know, for me, I think, and I and I tell our players right now too that's you know currently playing, uh, you know, or have played recently in the AFL. That you're only as good, in my opinion as the time and effort and energy that you're going to put into learning something new so quick. And that mm-hmm. takes the teachers, the coaches that are around you, obviously, you know, veterans, you know, that are on the team to be able to help guide you figure out this game very quickly. You know, arena football is very different. And uh, just like you said, and so if you're playing a game that you're used to for, you know, 22, 23 years, and all of a sudden you jump into a new game, well, you have to figure that out. Just like a new board game, if you are. Yeah, you know how to play board games, but you know th- this particular board game. And it might take you a little bit to figure this out. Yeah, you know, you still tackle, you still block, you still catch. You know, there's still the basic rules of, of football. But as far as the dimensions go, as far as the speed of the game, as far as uh, really the rules of the game, you have to really figure these out. And there's a lot of subtle nuances that a lot of players don't know. So we try to do, you know, from a coaching perspective, I try to throw as much at you as possible in camp, you know, before camp, obviously with communication, sending playbooks and just sending as much film as you possibly can to study. So for me, I didn't quite have that going into the arena football league. So what happened in uh, with the Columbus war dogs in 2004 uh, played, you know, I, I want to say I played sparingly, but played in all 16 games. I had no interceptions, no interceptions, you know, confidence to shot. So, you know, I don't, maybe I just don't really know this game. Maybe this isn't it for me. Well, then the next year I split time between the Macon Knights and the South Georgia Wildcats mm-hmm. um, again, in, in the Georgia area arena two. And had three interceptions. Well, the following year in 2006, uh, I was actually the first person signed to the Spokane Shock um, and went out there. Uh, Chris Siegfried, head coach, grateful for him for bringing me out there. He was the coach of the South Georgia Wildcats at the time, brought me out there. His staff, Travis Cruisenberry, Troy Billadu, really, really helped me learn the game, really got comfortable with them. Well, and then all of a sudden I go from zero picks to three picks, and then all of a sudden I have 13 picks. And then that's kind of where it started to connect for me. It just I needed a full offseason season good coaching, kind of understand the game, be put around the right players, kind of get my speed up, you know, understand how to train specifically for arena football. And then that's kind of where I was able to get my feet underneath me. And so for me, you know, I try to help the guys. I don't want them to take three years to really get the game. If I can help you within half a season to see those rookies obviously progress in that way as a coach now, that's what you want to do. And and you want to get those guys up to speed as quickly as possible with with a new game. 
For sure. And and obviously, you were lucky enough in 06. I mean, you got one of your first AF2, uh, AF2 Arena Cup championships. I have to ask you at least about the 06 season is because um, the game itself was in Puerto Rico. And, uh, you know, you win a chance, you're going to go to a championship. The game's in Puerto Rico. What, what were your thoughts as a football player going to play? You know, obviously, you wish you, were, you would have been able to play at home in Spokane because, as everybody knows, Spokane fans are just absolutely nuts. Um, but what was it like as a player going to a for, to a foreign country to play a, an AF2 indoor football championship? Well, you know, originally what happened was, uh, you know, and obviously a tragedy occurred with Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. So our game was actually scheduled to be played in Bossier City uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana. Ah, okay. And it was going to be between us and the, and the Green Bay Blizzard. And you're right, you know, we had a great record. We were 14-2 and two at the time, uh, finishing the regular season, uh, Green Bay Blizzard. Uh, you know, they, they were they were a very good team, you know, well-stacked, a lot of good players. Um, well, then, because of Hurricane Katrina, the New Orleans Saints and Dallas Cowboys preseason game was being moved to LSU. And that would have wiped out completely our ticket sales, at least in the opinions of the owners, for, uh, you know, the championship game. Right. So, not sure who made the deal. Obviously, uh, you know, Commissioner Kurz, all respect to him, you know, and, and some of the owners got uh, for us to play in the convention center. Um in Puerto Rico. And we were there for a week. And to be honest with you, it was great. I, you know, I looked at it where when you have a destination championship game or a destination game to begin with on any level of football, it's all about how disciplined your team is, how much can you focus. And look, we are already a great team. I think every championship team I've been a part of, the camaraderie's been there, uh, the discipline's been there, but just the love between the coaches and the players. I mean, we really, really had just a, it's just a great, you know, synchronized team. The synergy was awesome. So for us, you know, going to Puerto Rico, it was awesome. I mean, we were there for a good four or five days, a lot of good walkthroughs, a lot of good practices. And, you know, fortunately, you know, the rest of history is us, you know, coming out on top and, and completing a championship season and, you know, finishing the season at, you know, 17 wins and two losses. And uh, it was a great, my first uh, experience of winning a championship in uh, professional football. And, and I loved it. And, you know, still a memory I have to this day. How hard was it to, to keep your, your mindset on football, especially when you're away? Because you see some of the NCAA uh, bowl games, you know, one, I think there was one originally in, in Bermuda or, or, sorry, in the Bahamas, and, and ones that go to Hawaii. As a football player, how hard was it to keep your mind on football rather than what was going on around you? Well, it's not hard if you have the right people. Right. And, and I think that that's ultimately how any coach, uh, any player, any team, any captain, uh, that it's on any organization, you know, you recognize a team that you have around you. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've been on teams before and not a lot, to be honest with you. I've been very fortunate to be on a lot of good teams, but I have been around players that, you know, Hey, there's, there might be a problem going to a destination, uh, you know, a spot with a lot of beaches and, uh, you know, awesome, you know, entertainment and, you know, all this, uh, you know, maybe things you haven't seen before. And it's just such a new experience where you can't stay focused and you might worry about a few players or two. You might worry about the overall structure of how things are going to work, but, we were disciplined and we were focused. And I think when you hear that term business trip, if you have the right people around you, we're going out here to win a football game. Like, you know, we can party for the rest of our lives, but, you know, we're, you know, we're champions and, you know, we want to win a championship. And to be a champion, you got to focus up. So no matter how great the beaches were, or how many casinos were there, or whatever it might be, nightclubs and all that stuff, we were going to do that stuff after. And we did. I know, don't get me wrong. We won the championship. We had a great time for the last two or three days. The owners were awesome to allow us to stay down there a little bit longer, knowing that we didn't have to you know, go down there on vacation mode and, and then try to win a football game after the fact. And to be honest, I think the Green Bay Blizzard took it that serious as well. I mean, they were very well coached and, uh, you know, it was a great game and we came out on top. But uh, really proud of the guys because, you know, it's a memory that you'll have for the rest of your life. 
Now I, I don't remember seeing one, so you can tell me if, if you did or not. Um, did did you did the guy at, this, uh, at the Spokane Shock organization present you guys with rings? We did, yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah, very grateful for that. And um, and then what happened was uh, Chris Siegfried, who was the head coach there um, at the time in Arena Two. When you had that Arena Two structure, which you know, in the heyday, you know, thirty-two teams had a lot of teams, and maybe more than that. Yeah. Um, then became the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Brigade in the AFL. And then Coach Adam Shackelford, you know, great coach, mm-hmm. uh, great offensive mind, uh, came in in 2007, um, and then he took over. But, yeah, we had a ring ceremony. We had um, uh, the banner drop. You know, in the arena two days, you know, it was unfortunate. A lot of guys kind of went on. A lot of guys made it to the AFL, and I was really proud of that. A lot of guys jumped up to the next level. So they weren't able to be there for the ring ceremony, but everybody got their ring. They were all mailed out and really uh, – really happy that we were able to uh you know get that accomplished and everybody has that ring to show for it that's cool now in in 07 you, you guys did were amazing again i mean you guys were 12 and 4 but you ran into a bit a little bit of a roadblock i mean how was how did you, how tough was it going into the playoffs there in 07 you, you go in as a, a number two seed and then the number seven seed louisville fire knock you guys off and they just didn't beat you they whooped you I don't mean to bring back bad memories there, Coach, but I mean, <laughs> what, uh, what what do you think it was that uh, was different from 06 versus 07? No, I think I think looking back at it, uh, you know, nothing that I don't think the coaches did. I don't think anything uh, that the team did. I think, you know, for us, you know, we gave it our all. For me personally, um, uh, and, I, and a lot of people don't know this, and again, it's my first experience uh, in doing this. I take full responsibility when I, mm-hmm. you know, when you're a captain, um, you know, when you're an all-star, uh, you know, I was actually calling the defensive secondary okay. on the back end. And I mean, I tell them to this day, you know, Tiger Jones did a heck of a job, you know, just eating us up. I, I, I don't know how many touchdowns the guy had, but we knew that. And coach Shackelford, who was the offensive coordinator of the Louisville fire, when you look back into it, that team really knew, you know, knew him well. And I think he really knew that team well. So it was actually more evenly matched. I think than people saw, they look at the kind of the two seed and the seven seed. Um, but I feel bad for coach Jack. I mean, that was on me. I mean, that's how I look at it. Now at the end of the day, Hey, you know, you know, who did what, you know, did, did a guy drop the ball? You know, who missed tackles? You know, you forget things like that over right. time, but you know, you did lose. And, you know, for us to lose a home game the year after winning a championship, I think that helped, Coach Shackelford propel his mind into, okay, hey, this is what we need to do for next year. As he was learning to be a head coach, for me, you know, uh, putting myself in a position where that was my first kind of, hey, I'm, I'm calling the defense, but we put ourselves in a, in a great position to win. I don't think we, uh, and I think it's okay to say this, you necessarily maybe didn't have the, the, the best firepower that we did maybe the year before. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, hey, everybody, you know, busted their butt. Everybody worked really hard. It was a learning experience on all, you know, on all ends. Um, as you were talking about before, a lot of guys in 06 were, were graduating up to the AFL and you actually had your shot, uh, in 2008. Um, uh, who contacted you coach? And, uh, what, what was your reaction when you heard that you were, you're, you were being looked at by, uh, by an AFL team in particular, the Philadelphia soul. Yeah. So for in 2006 and in 2007, um, I was very fortunate, right? So, uh, that's kind of where I, I started to peak as far as, uh, you know, the arena football game. Uh, in my mind, as right. far as who I who I was, so in 2004 and in 2005, I wasn't able to you know have maybe the, the great seasons that I thought I would have. But that's again where you're learning the game. Well, now 2006 and 2007, Spokane was a good place for me, and right. I was uh, two-time All Arena uh, first team defense. Um, I was you know a couple votes away uh, from winning Defensive Player of the Year uh, in both years. 
uh, had 25 interceptions in two years. And so I realized, hey, this is, I got this game down. All respect to anybody who's played Arena 2 at that level. But when you know you're doing that good of a job, you know that it's just, it's time for the next step. And so the confidence was there. Um, and when you get that confidence, you know, hey, it's, it's, it's that time. So I actually had workouts um, with the Kansas City Brigade. Mm-hmm. I had workouts with the Philadelphia Soul. I had workouts um, with uh, the New York Dragons, oh. um, the Columbus Destroyers. Um, and it was good. And it was like people were trying to take a look at me. I had a workout with uh, the Colorado Crush. And it was kind of at that call, you know, a couple phone calls. Uh, Georgia Forrest called me. So, uh, you know, and that's how I got to know these coaches as well, too, and just kind of the, the, what kind of people they were. And, and, again, when I started playing arena football, as much as I didn't know before I started, I mean, I then became a student of the game. And that's just how I am as a person. I, I dove deep into, you know, who are the best players? You know, who, who's, who's you know, Hall of Famers? Who's All-Stars? You know, how does this work? You know, different offenses. You know, I just – I really became – a you know, just a, 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 a savant, really, of, of, of the game. And so, for me, when I was offered, actually, a waiver contract. I, I never got offered a contract oh, wow. okay. um, in, in arena football. I think everybody was kind of on the fringe. Hey, you know, he's fast, but he's not that fast. He's, he, he's got good hands, but he's not that big. You know, everybody kind of, there was always a slight. And I'm okay with that. You know, I realized, I said, hey, look, I'm going to make it up for in my knowledge of the game. And so, I, I really believe that, you know, my film capabilities and putting myself in the positions where I needed to be put in based on how I study mm-hmm. will then compensate for the lack thereof of whatever, you know, people might have thought of me. So when I went to Philly, uh, I was there on a two-day waiver. And so we came in. I, I never forget it. It was uh, the, the catch game of David Tyree and the New York Giants. That was the first day that we were, you know, we had this kind of welcome party. And we were all in a hotel because the next day after the Super Bowl is when camp started, right. at least mini camp. And every day, if you only have a, a two-day waiver, every day, now I didn't have to be the best, but I had to beat somebody out. And so we started probably with you know 18 to 20 defensive backs, whatever the number was. And then I knew that hey, we're only probably going to keep you know five or six of them. And so every day, I just had to finally just get better and better and better. And then hey, I don't have to be better than the best, but I have to be better than this guy. And then the next day, when that guy got cut, I had to be better than this guy. I had to be better than this guy. So I just kept. I mean, really, every single day was a championship game for me. And that's kind of, I think, set my mentality for how I am now, that the adversity I had to overcome. And, and I'm proud of it, to be honest with you. But very, very appreciative of the Philadelphia Soul for giving me that opportunity, which eventually turned into a contract, which eventually turned into, um, you know, being a role player, which eventually turned into be a starter, which eventually, you know, turned into be uh, an Arena Bowl champion. And, uh, you know, obviously starting my career in the AFL, and I was very proud of it. Now, you mentioned it before, but I mean, as a player, I know some, some players can have egos. They, they feel that they are better than some people look at them. You didn't feel disrespected in any way that you're only offered that waiver contract, though, Coach? No, you know, for me, I, I don't I, look, you can use that. You can use, I think, anything as disrespect. I think that's what, that's what players do, right? I think uh, right now, when you look at it, I think everybody, when, uh, you know, the young man from Utah State was drafted yeah. uh, to the Green Bay Packers, right? Aaron Rodgers, all of a yeah. sudden, does he feel slighted? You still have this belief in yourself. Well, hey, if that's if that's the route that the organization wants to go, I'm not mad at the organization. I still have an opportunity to perform how I need to perform. But make no mistake about it, it is competition. And so for me, I looked at it where I never forget, you know, Coach Muncie, uh, you know, who again very very grateful for the opportunity, gave me a chance. I was in my my kitchen in my parents' house when he called me, and even though it was a waiver, I was just as happy as it was a contract because I know myself, and I know that as long as I'm getting a foot in the door. It's not about how you get in. It's about what you do when you're in there. And so for me, it was contracts. And, I, and I'd say this, to be honest, I'd say this to all my players now. When they come in on waivers or contract, look, you're all here. 
if somebody thinks they're better because they have a contract, contract doesn't mean anything. It means what you're here for, what, the next day. That's all that means. If somebody has a waiver and they're better than you, well, now that person has the contract. It's yeah. ultimately getting on the field, performing. And so for me, it was uh, it literally was just, hey, I'm not coming in here to make friends. As friendly of a person as I am when it comes to my teammates, I always want to be open and honest. And I'm, I'm a very, I think, jovial person around teammates and my, my coaching staff. But, you know, I was in there with a the focus and uh, came in there to, to, to do a task and, and make sure it got complete. Now, this is your, your second championship in, in three years. Um, what was what was this? What was the Arena Bowl experience again? Another uh, another neutral site in New Orleans, which is funny where you were supposed to be originally back then. By the way, back in '06, um, what was the difference between uh, uh, the uh, your Arena Cup experience and the Arena Bowl experience? Well, you know, first and foremost, I think much like any level, um, and I think it's widely known, right? When you when you play an FCS in college or you play mm-hmm. in the FBS. You're going to have some good FCS players, mm-hmm. but for the majority, the FBS players are bigger, stronger, quicker, faster. The game moves a lot, uh, you know, at a higher pace. And that's the same thing as, uh, you know, Arena 2 to the AFL. I mean, right. the game was that much better. I mean, when you're, when you're on a team with uh, Matt D'Arazio and uh, Tony Graziani and Chris Jackson mm-hmm. and Eddie Moten and all these just awesome players, and I mean, the list goes on and on, uh, you know, th- this was a team that, you know, was to be reckoned with, and it was designed to be that way. Fortunately enough for me, there were so many superstars, and this is why I look at it, too. I think every player needs to understand their role. If you, if you look at me from a basketball standpoint, I was the role player. When you look at you know, the Jordan, you know, the, the docuseries that they had on the, the Bulls, yeah. I was one of those players that was get, I was getting uh, the garbage points. I was diving for loose balls. I was getting the steals. I was doing the defense. I was giving the assists, whatever it is. Maybe I, it's three points a night, four rebounds, four steals, you know, one block shot, whatever I needed to do to help our team win, that's what I was going to do. And so for me, I, I recognized my role. So it really helped me embrace going from a starter and a captain and an all-star in an Arena 2 championship season team to then being a role player. Right. And that was not humbling for me. I didn't, I, I'm, I'm that way to begin with as a person, knowing how great the team concept really is, but I learned a lot. And that's the thing I took for the most. I really just listened to Coach Muncy, uh, Coach Jerry Odom right now, who's the head coach at Tusculum uh, College, um, uh, Connell Maynard, who's our offensive coordinator yeah. at the time, who's now you know head coach right in Alabama A and M or Alabama State. Don't want to get the, the don't want to get it wrong there, but just a, just awesome people and, and just great coaches and just just the leadership was phenomenal. But again, the camaraderie was great, and I knew it. No matter what level you're on, again about the synergy, about the connection. You know, you got to have all stars. You got to have great players. They're going to be there for you in the fourth quarter when there's four seconds left. But make no mistake, the team was so strong, and always making the right decisions. People were really smart off the field. Uh, people were really sticking together and, and watched out for one another. So, you know, guys like Phil Bogle and just—I mean—they were just just awesome leadership qualities. So I learned so much there, and I think that for me at 27 years old was the perfect time for me to see, hey, this is this is as professional as arena football league can get. With John Bon Jovi as the owner, yep. Ron Jaworski as team president. I mean, this is this is the real deal here. So I, I learned a lot on all levels and just just paid attention every single day. Now, obviously, it seems it's funny. A lot of the the players that I've uh, a lot of people that I've talking with uh, that, that took part in the Arena Football League started off as players and, and then ended up as coaches. They always they all seem to have gone through this one particular point in Arena Football history. Obviously, with 2008, everybody knows what happens for 2009 and beyond. Um, 
I, I at least I have to ask, Coach, in your opinion, obviously with with the you know the, the commissioner announces that he won't be returning, uh, and then all of a sudden the you know the league itself folds and doesn't play in two thousand nine. At that time, a lot of players, and and I think if not mistaken, a couple of your teammates uh, were all were getting paid six figures at that time because it was allowed because of the the way that the contracts were and the way the salary cap was. First, in your opinion, coach, do you think that at that time players getting paid six figures was what undid the league and why it did not in, uh, continue in two thousand nine? Well, and again, I think this is such a, a, a hindsight conversation, right? Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of players. Probably the majority of them, because uh, when, when you do run into these guys, and everybody still talks, right? We all text each other. We oh, all yeah. call each other. We've all run into uh, circles where we coach against each other, and everybody's doing great things. Obviously, Chris Jackson with the Chicago Bears. and yep. It's just awesome, right? But you do look back at it and say, man, if I just did that a little different. And I think that's part of life. I think that's part of growing up. But looking at it, when you look back at it, in the moment, for me personally, not being a big money guy, again, I was very fortunate to be on that team, but I was also uh, allowed to be on that team for the money I was making because not everybody could make that kind of money. So if you pay the big-time stars, much like anybody who does fantasy football, I'm a guy at the bottom end of that roster because you need a guy like me who can get you those stats that also isn't going to cost you a lot. So I was a bargain buy to do all the little dirty things, right? You know, I'm a, I'm, I mean, I'm a kick returner. I'm running down on kickoffs. Um, I'm the fifth wide receiver. I'm the fifth defensive back. You know, I all of a sudden become a starter because two, two uh, defensive backs go down. Like, whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do. So, again, in my position, when you realize kind of what's going on and there's negotiations and, again, learning about the CBA. That was my first experience as a you know, 26, 27-year-old kind of learning about collective bargaining agreements yeah. and kind of keeping my ears open, learning from some older players, where it looked to me as if there was too much money going out not enough money coming in right. and plus insurance, right? Yeah. Not only were the players on insurance, right? You have insurance for me. I'm thinking, Hey, this is a gold mine. I, I can do this for the rest of my life, you know, make, you know, X amount of dollars and have insurance and live a good quality of life. Well, there's a lot of players that had, you know, a lot of kids and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you have everybody on their insurance and everybody is uh, kind of getting these up and up figures and there's again, so much money going out, no matter who's to blame, whether it's players or whether it's the, the owners or the commissioner, David Maker. I mean, it, look, it takes a lot to kind of go on. But I think for me, not placing any blame on anyone, it was right. such a shock because I just made it there when it got ripped out from under us. Yeah, That that's where as a player, I, and I will never forget this, and I, and I tell people this all the time, where, you know, I was in the best shape of my life. I decided to stay in Philadelphia. They offered me more money. I signed a contract. And again, very aware that I would still then – have to work every single day to, to, to be the, the player that would make the, the, the final roster after camp. But again, very grateful for they offered me that contract. Well, I stayed in Philadelphia with a college buddy of mine. He lived in South Philly. I was renting out a room from him. I was training. I was in great shape. I was working out at a local high school while well, I also worked uh, part-time at a circuit city. And so a lot of players or people say, well, you know, you players, you think you're millionaires. Well, you still got to pay the bills. You know, you don't get paid in the off season. But for me, if you have a job that's too all-encompassing, you can't train the way you want. So I was able to find a, a great job with Circuit City, with a, a guy that was a season ticket holder for the uh, Philadelphia Soul, great person, you know, offered me a part-time job. It was about 25 to 30 hours. That was perfect for me. Uh, and, well, what I was doing was uh, Circuit City at the time. Uh, I was, uh, it was, again, 2008, uh, you know, maybe into 2009. I'm trying to, yeah, I think it's 2000, end of 2008. 
I'm working in the television section uh, early in the day. I'm selling TVs. I'm selling the flat screen TVs kind of when they first started coming out. So those things were, were moving like hotcakes. Well, it was, it was a slow time of the day, and I had all the TVs on. And, of course, I have them all on ESPN. You know, I'm watching TV until customers come in. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I see one of – I never forget it was Neil Everett, I believe, um, comes on uh, TV, and he starts talking about how the AFL has now declared for bankruptcy. Right. And I, I, I mean, this is like a, uh, almost a movie where imagine like 40 TVs are on and I'm the only one over there watching 40 TVs and I stand up and you got big ones on, you got little ones on. And it's just the AFL logo talking about the demise of the AFL. And in my head, I'm like, well, you know, what, what is going on here? So I immediately yeah. get on the phone and try to figure out what's going on. And that was, uh, that was the moment that I find out or I found out. And then obviously we all got together as players and, you know, if you have email and text communication to figure out what's going on. And it was just, it was very unfortunate, but uh, again, only having one season played in the AFL and being a champion, you know, it was, if, if you're going to go out like that, I, 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 I rested in my heart to say at least, you know, I went out as a champion and, and it was on to the next to figure out what else I had uh, in store. Did you find, cause I, I, a lot of the players that I've spoken with and former players that I've spoken with have, have all had different stories about when they heard about, you know, the, the demise of the AFL. Do you felt that you were, told uh do you feel that it was that, that you weren't i'm trying how, how i'm trying to say this is that when the league folded how is it that you felt you found out the way that you did because you would think that you being a part of a league you, you are an employee of a team and of the league itself and you had to find out on tv and it seems to be the exact same thing for a lot of other people whether it be through text or whatever whatever how did you feel that that's how you had, that you found out that the league had folded? Don't you feel that you had you should have been told first, or do you think it was just well, a matter of? You know, that's a good question. I, you know, I think again, I think it's all about knowing who I am. I think yeah. I think the proper channels, right? If you're looking at it now, if something were to happen like this um, now um, in any business, uh, you know, you want that you want that initial phone call. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't want to just get receive some kind of letter in the mail or to see your, your company stock go you know down on the right, TV right. and then you have to figure it out. You know, but for me, I don't I'm just I'm a person that doesn't look at life like that. I'm a person that doesn't feel like I'm entitled to things. I'm a person that I don't feel like I'm owed much. I, I, I do feel like life is is it is difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, life is about overcoming adversity. Life is like, you know, the most painful things in your life probably are the best things for you. I mean, I really do believe in that, that anything of ease is probably not worth doing. And so getting that it was it was almost fitting for me in a way where it was literally in that circuit city moment and then just kind of sitting back and saying oh man like this is this is intense i mean this is movie like i mean it's, it's, yeah. it's definitely going to go in the book later on in life but you know i didn't <laughs> hold any any uh any grudges or anything like that uh you know i i looked at it like hey i'm sure there's you know uh, you know chris jackson was a player rep for our team and tony graziani and Durazio and all these guys so bogle i was like you know when they when they know i mean if those guys didn't know why would i you know, that kind of thing. So, you yeah. know, then we talked about it and I, you know, I asked the questions that I needed to ask and, um, you know, then made the necessary moves accordingly. Now, obviously, yeah, uh, you, you know, in 2009, yeah, you end up being the defensive backs coach for the back to back and where you, well, I could say back home again, so to speak, uh, with the Spokane shock of the AF2. But I want to ask you, wh- what made you go from AFL to, to all of a sudden you're starting your coaching career? Was there Something in between those 365 days, so to speak, that changed your mind about being a player, or did it, was there an injury that occurred? Well, what happened in, uh, in 2005, um, and this is how I got um, to really be on the Spokane Shock the first time in 2006, being the first player signed. Right. Um, 
so rewind that in, 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 uh, in 2005, when I was playing, I was playing for the Macon Knights, uh, Mike Hole, Derek Stingley, great coaches, great people, uh, really didn't work out for me there. Understandable, you know, wasn't, wasn't as good as I probably should have been then was traded to the South Shore Wildcats. And I appreciated it. You know, they asked me, Hey, said, is there a place you want to go? I said, look, the place that needs me the most. Well, when they sent me to the South Shore Wildcats, they really weren't doing well. They needed a defensive back. And I just fit in, and we and, and did a great job. And that was back in the two-way game. I was, uh, you know, splitting time at wide receiver, defensive back, loved it, but really started to really learn the game. Well, after the South Georgia Wildcat season ended, uh, Chris Siegfried, you know, then became the coach of, of Spokane. Yeah. Well, during that time in that offseason when college football and the NFL was going on, I actually was asked by Travis Cruisenberry, who was the offensive-defensive line coach of the South Georgia Wildcats at that time, to come coach at a small college called Pikeville College, an NEIA school uh, in eastern Kentucky. And they said, we're looking for, you know, another coach. And he said, every coach that's on staff that is not the head coach or coordinator is an arena football player. And so the idea was, hey, for, you know, 6500 or $8,000 or whatever it was, you come there for four to five months from August to December, and you're living as an RA in the dorm. And at that time, you know, I'm 24, 25 years old and, and, you know, very, very young, almost, you know, two years graduated myself. I said, yeah, you know, I'd like to see if I wanted to coach. Well, they make me, you know, special teams coordinator and running back coach. I was a signal coordinator. I was on the offensive side of the ball. And I loved every minute. And it was just amazing. And I just had such a great time, such great people. Well, we end up getting to uh, the ranking of fourth in the nation in the NAIA, uh, uh, you know, uh, rankings uh, yeah. nationally we end up losing in the semifinals um to a team i want to say st francis out of uh, indiana and uh, but it was great it was an unbelievable experience but that was the minute that i knew i was going to be a coach okay. that was the minute that i knew i had the skills of communication to coach players i had the relationship abilities to coach players i learned how to recruit I learned how to implement a game plan. I knew I learned how to watch film the right way. It was just such a great experience. And again, NAI, obviously not as well funded as, you know, major division one schools, but to do what we were able to do with not that, you know, much equipment or not much funding, it was an eye opening experience for me yeah. and, and just learned how to work hard. And I did, I, I, I poured my heart into it, loved all the guys that were out there. And then Travis Cruisenberry, who brought me out to, uh, you know, Pikeville, then became the offensive and defensive line coach of Spokane. And that's, again, followed him out there and Coach Siegfried. So I knew that I was going to be a coach, to kind of get back to your original question. I knew that I was going to be a coach. So after the 2008 season uh, with the Philadelphia Soul and the AFL folded, I had been contacted by the Atlanta Falcons and the New York Giants. And I worked out for both of them. Um, And then, again, nothing panned. I, I I didn't get a contract. I wasn't invited to camp. It was again, it was like, hey, just see who this guy is. Right. And so I realized it was, you know, I just maybe I just if I was going to assess myself, you know, as I would break down players, because that's what I would do in my spare time. From a scouting standpoint, I'd break down NFL players. I would I would create the scouting reports for ASL players that I just enjoy doing that and I always knew I was going to be a coach. So what I assumed was going to happen, I assumed that the AFL was going to take one year off. Right. And then I could then come back and play in the AFL. I assumed that, hey, I can always be an AFL player. I realized that I had a niche at this game. I'm good at it. I just started getting my feet wet. I started getting the speed of the game and the AFL down. Just won a championship. Let me go back and coach in the AF2 because we were actually not allowed to play in the AF2. That's originally what I thought I was going to do. I was ah. going to go back and play in arena football, too. Well, there was a rule, and it said any player that signed a contract in the 2008 season in the AFL 
was not allowed to play in the AF2. And then it's like, oh, because we would have probably a majority of us took all those players' jobs and, you know, that's not fair to them. Right. And, and, and I'm assuming, you know, maybe the budget, you know, how do you compensate a guy who made $100,000 in the AFL now playing for $250 in an, in an AF2 team? You know, they, they didn't see how that structure was probably going to work. Yeah. Uh, unionization, I'm, I'm sure, was an issue. You know, all those things. So I wasn't allowed to play. Fine. So I talked to Chris Jackson, and I said he gave me great advice, and I always thank him for this to, to this day. I said, you know, w- you know, what would you do? You know, what, what, what do you do in the moments like this and times like this? And he said, I'll never forget this. And he said, always go back to a place that appreciates you the most. So football players, uh, actors, uh, musicians, we're all in the same boat. You know, you're not working a nine to five. So sometimes, you know, the rock and roll guys and, and the rappers and the actors and the actresses, and, you know, sometimes you're out of work and sometimes your CD's not selling or whatever it is. And, you're, you know, nobody's buying your stuff. Uh, you know, you're only you're getting a commercial here or there. Well, where can you go back to have real work in between the, the acting gigs, in between the, the touring gigs, in between the football seasons? Yeah. So I realized Spokane is a place. You know, I realized that, hey, that's a place that, you know, the, the, the term key fence, they, they assigned that to me. I was, I was so grateful. Like, it was just <laughs> awesome. Like, it was, it, was, it, was just, it was a special place for me personally, and it's a place I, I hold so dear in my heart. And I knew it was time for me to go back. And so talked to the owners. Uh, coach Shackelford was the head coach there. Talked to Coach Shackelford. They were looking for a defensive backs coach, someone who can come in, help, you know, well, obviously with the defense, uh, defensive coordinator, uh, you know, special teams, you know, come in there and really just give kind of an extra kick. And again, without stepping on any toes, I knew I was like, you know, this is the place uh, that I wanted to be. And, uh, you know, girlfriend at the time was still living back in Spokane. It, it just it just made sense. Yeah. And so I thought, though, I was going to go back there for one year and then the AFL would then start. So that's my original intention. And then I did, I, you know, I signed a contract with them to be a coach in the AF2 and I'm looking at it where, Hey, this is February. I'll give them six months to coach, have a great time. And then by August comes around, I'm training again and I'm going back into the AFL to play football. So that, that's originally what the thought was. Okay. Wow. It's, as you said, you know, you just gave some, I think if I were to take away one snippet right now, just this early in, in the interview itself, coach, what you said about go to a place where you're loved, that's perfect. And I think if everybody were to use that in their life, it actually may improve quite a few, quite, you know, quite a few people's lives. So it's, I, I, just, I just love how, you, how you're able to explain it. And I actually I agree with you quite a bit. So, um, awesome. Yeah. Um, obviously, hey, going back to Spokane was a huge plus. I mean, you guys were dominant in that last year in 09 of the AF2. I mean, you guys went 15-1. and one. I mean, you guys, it's it just, you, you went, you rushed shot over the division at a, at a, at a staggering 11 and 0. You went to the championship game. You, you, you win your first championship as a head coach. Uh, sorry, well, as a coach. I have talked to, to many players who have won multiple championships. This is your third in four years. We're, and it's hard to say now because I know you, you've won a couple of others, but third time, third time now. Did it change how you felt about winning a championship or was it different this time around because you were a coach for the first time? Well, it was definitely different. It was and that's where I think the long hours, the hard work, all the preparation. And again, look, for whatever, whatever any coach says, the players are the ones who are making the plays. You know, it's my job to teach them. And I come from, uh, you know, parents who have civil service backgrounds. My father worked in the government. Right. My mom, you know, was an educator. And so taking that educational piece and those managerial skills from both of them, literally how well can I prepare these players to the best of my ability? 
um, to put them in the positions where they can ultimately make the plays. And again, it's just it's a perfect storm. You know, Coach Shackelford just just such a great job recruiting. I mean, Nick Davila was the quarterback. You had guys just all over the field that were actually potential and future AFL All Stars. Um, and it's just such an amazing job. I mean, we we virtually were unstoppable. And knowing the game that we did lose, I, I want to say it was Iowa, if I recall, and we just had a really bad game. It was a game where it was almost kind of a trap game. We, we traveled. We traveled poorly. Guys really weren't focused. Uh, things were just off. You know, but, but, again, we needed that. And I think every team will say that, like, hey, is a goal to go undefeated or is a goal to win a championship? But just really enjoyed Coach Shackelford. Uh, Alex Sirianni was a great coach. Uh, we just had oh, just the right pieces. And, again, it, it all starts with – you know, I think the ownership and the people that worked within the Spokane Shock organization, it was such a family. And then at the same time, too, the, 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 the environment. And I think that there's just certain places where arena football works better than others. And there's no other sport out there outside of really, I mean, you know, there are, you know, some minor league sports, but really it's Gonzaga basketball. Yeah. And you have Washington State football that's maybe an hour, you know, away. You, have, you know, it's four hours away from Seattle, so you're not dealing with the Seahawks and the you know, the Washington Huskies or anything like that, or the Mariners, but you know, it, it really is. It's a, it's, you know, it's, it's a perfect, perfect place to have indoor football and the fans just took to it. And so the guys just fed off that energy. And again, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, when I came back in 2009, you know, the year before they lost as I was winning the arena bowl championship with Philadelphia, I came back to call the game. I want I want to say it was Comcast sports, but I called the game of the Spokane shock, losing to the Tennessee Valley Vipers yeah. um, to Coach Dean Coquinos in Spokane, last play of the game, Tony Colson. I was just a heartbreaker, but that's how close I was to that organization. And so uh, I, I was all for it. When they offered me a position, I wanted to help every way possible. And, you know, those guys and, and those coaches, I mean, they put in the work to, to eventually become 19-1 and and, and win the uh, the Arena Cup in, in 2009 in Las Vegas, another destination spot. It was just – it was great. <laughs> um. Uh, and again, now within within two years, you're going through almost the exact same thing that you did back in 2008. Uh, this time as a coach, the, the AF2, they decide to vault. Um, are you able to, to shed any any insights on the circumstances on why it was decided to, to shutter the AF2? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, again, looking back, I didn't know this stuff at the time, uh, but looking back at it, it was the optics, I think, of you know, what is happening in, you know, the country with the economy, you know, can, can, a, can a league sustain itself uh, with, let's say the AFL, can it sustain itself with a hundred thousand dollar contracts, some $200,000 contracts, yeah. um, you know, big salary budgets, big time sponsors. Again, I always say this, I'm, I'm probably the only coach that will ever say this stuff. I'm very aware as, as serious as I take the coaching profession we're also coaching a game that's providing entertainment. Right. And so when people have uh, extra money in their pocket, uh, you know, when they have disposable income, when times are tough, are they going to choose your entertainment to spend their money on? And times like this right now, probably not. You're going to spend money on food and car payments, and you're going to save a little bit more, and you're going to be a little bit smarter with your money. Well, we were going up against, do you go bowling? Do you go to... Uh, you know, do you, do, do you take a trip with the family? Uh, do you go to movies? Do you go to arena football? It, it was it was very tough if people were going to go out. They didn't have the disposable income like they did because of, you know, what the economy was from, you know, 2008, 2010 environment. So I think what happened in just everything that I now know 
is it got to a point where, hey, we can then create a better brand because the AFL is a really good brand. AF2 is in smaller destination cities, but we can do that at a discount rate. We will cap the players at a particular number. We will not be paying the you know, extravagant contracts, at least what they thought in their mind. And it got to a point where we can actually do this, have a good brand, and still sell it as uh, you know, AFL football right. without paying the money out. And, and I think that's ultimately what the idea was, thus then kicking the AF2 out. And then this, and, and I think owners had to decide because they had to pay more money. You know, the rent goes up in these, these bigger arenas. Do you then fold your AF2 team or does your AF2 team then become an AFL team? And I think that was a decision that a lot of owners had to make at that time. For sure. And now, you know, you being being an AFL guy and an AF2 guy, uh, I want to ask your opinion. With them restarting up the league in 2010, um, and bringing in what a lot of people would, what we're calling it the AF2 model. I mean, I don't know, would you have called that a fair assessment or, or do you, th- because I think a lot of people feel and, uh, that once they came in as the AF2 model, it was a different brand of football. Now, obviously I know you're going to be a head coach in, in Spokane. We'll get that here in a couple of minutes, but what, what's your thought on when, when people say that, you know, just that is that the AF2 model bringing it and calling it the AFL was kind of a uh, a disservice to the to, to the to the original sure. Arena Football League. No, without a doubt, and I think there, there's nothing wrong with just being honest about the differences behind it. And I think that I'll, once you experience it, and I was very again very um, very fortunate that when you say those three championships to the date that I was able to win, yeah, one being a um, an All Star captain of an AF two team, and then one being a role player. Uh, you know, a scrappy guy every day to, to stay on the team and not get cut of an AFL team. And then being an AF2 coach, I got to see things from kind of all the different levels. I got to see all the business side and I saw the player side. The AFL players at that time as a whole were much better, obviously. But, and we're just talking about the playing models right now, but the AF2, if the AF2 created an all-star team, a lot of those AF2 players that were all-stars did phenomenally yeah. in the AFL. So if you took the AF2 playing model, just to how the players are, and you combined it in an all-star team, that easily would have been a very good team in the AFL. Okay. Easily. But as a whole, as a whole, the AF2 players as a whole, maybe if you had you know, 24 guys on a team, there was probably you know 17 of those players who would not have been able to make an AFL team. And then you look at me, right? A, a, a guy who had 25 interceptions in two years in the AF2 and then scrapping every single day to you know, fight for the Philadelphia soul. So that, I think that was the first part where, where people that saw the difference of the players recognized talent. They recognized, mm-hmm. hey, well, this guy isn't – these guys aren't as bigger, as big as the other guys. They're not as strong or as fast as the other guys. You know, these guys don't have the NFL experience as some of the other guys. I mean, on the Philadelphia soul in 2008, there, there was probably six or seven of those guys who were drafted NFL players. Yeah. You know, there was a couple guys, you know, Darius Watts, who was a first-round draft pick from the Denver Broncos, was a receiver on our team. Like, I mean, we had some very, very good players. Well, then you look at, again, what you would say the model, and then, again, it was on a budget. So we're AFL when it comes to how you, how you live, how, um, how you eat, how you travel. We traveled very differently in that old AFL style in 2008 where I got to see and I got to win. Then you would have – from an AF2 situation. An AF2 ate a little differently. They practiced a little differently. Mm-hmm. Things were just more professional. So the idea was, if we are going to merge these teams, get as many people on board as possible that can bring as much professionalism to this game 
and take it from what the AF2 was to what the AFL was. And you just had, a, you just needed a lot of people to bridge that gap from a playing standpoint, from a front office standpoint, and from a coaching standpoint to, to get these fans to recognize that this, this is the AFL. This isn't just the AF2.0 or, you know, 0.2 or whatever you want to yeah. call it. Yeah. Were you surprised? At, were you surprised that a lot of the names from the, from the old AFL showed up and played this new model? No, I wasn't. And, and that's where, again, where I was. I was in this position where, what I didn't realize at the time as you get older, well, if I don't train for seven or eight months and I'm yeah. full ingrained in coaching and I'm coaching 18 hour days, ultimately, you know, I, I tell, you know, friends and family members, I mean, how I used to be able to dunk a basketball. I mean, I could barely touch a net right now. I mean, that's what happens <laughs> to your body. You know, it's yeah. just, no matter how good you look, you just, you, you lose that explosiveness, you lose that, uh, that mobility. And so for me, then realizing, hey, I'm a coach now. Like my playing days are over. I've committed to being a coach. When you take a year off, it's very, very hard to get back in. So hearing those players in the yeah. AFL and, and, and then guys in the CFL and guys in the AF2, and, and there's so many guys that really tried. And I feel for them because just like my body, I think when they took that year off because they were not allowed to play in the 2009 AF2 season, it was very, very hard for them to get back going. We signed – in 2010 to the Spokane Shock, we signed a lot of players that played in the AFL, and I know we'll get that to in a second. I'll tell you yeah. my mentality of why, who I signed and why we did it. Yeah. And it, you know, a lot of them were upset because they didn't make the team, and it was nothing about what they did in the past and how to diminish that. It was literally when you take eight months off of football and you don't have the proper training and the dietary, you know, obviously discipline that you had before when you're making a lot of money and you were playing the AFL, it, it's amazing how quickly it goes down. And, and that's what happened to a lot of players. But the ones who made it, I was happy for them because it showed their love of football. You go from making, you know, 80 to $100,000 contracts to ultimately, you know, at most making maybe $16,000 in yeah. the new, you know, AFL. It, it was tough. And I think a lot of guys realized, hey, if I'm, if I'm going to support a family, it's maybe not the best option for me. So th there was a lot of things that were unique to it, but uh, I commend all the guys for trying and giving their best. Ah, so glad to get out of that dang time travel machine. Where'd you go? I went back to the 80s to grab some of that good, good sports merch from my favorite defunct franchises. I spent my life savings on that machine. You bought a time travel machine to buy sports merchandise. Yeah, gladly. You know you could have gone to 503 Sports, right? The, the website? Uh, yeah, no, I didn't think of that at all. Yeah, they sell all sorts of throwback sports merch from leagues like the World Football League, XFL, UFL, and the Arena Football League, several others. Uh, oh, shoot. Yeah, they sell hats, shirts, even custom jerseys from all sorts of vintage sports teams. Oh, man, I spent, like, a lot of money on that time travel machine. Well, look, listeners of AFL Rewind get 10% off their first order by using the promo code ARENAFAN at checkout. That might help you out. Yeah, it does. Go on over to 503-sports.com and, and get your merch today. Do you know anyone who wants to buy, like, a overpriced time travel machine? No, no, sorry, I, I don't. As we know, the Spokane Shock did join the new AF, the AFL in 2010. But what I wanted to ask you is, um, in between you being the defensive uh, backs coach and then becoming the new head coach, in between the time where the AF2 folded and the AFL relaunched, or, or, or Arena Football 1, which is what they called it originally before they took the name of the AFL, um, how, how much did you know of what Brady Nelson was going to do when it came to bringing the team into the AFL? Oh, no, and that's such a great question, too, because I... I I've always wanted to talk about this, especially publicly, um, because again, and 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 I'm, and I'm no no questions off the table, uh, you know, talking about this stuff. Yeah. That what eventually happened 
is realizing how great the Spokane shock was doing. Um, I think what Brady Nelson looked at me as opposed to other coaches who were on staff, he knew, you know, along with his, you know, ownership group and, you know, with the commissioner, they knew that probably, I don't know when, but you'd say, let's say mid season that they were going to be making this jump to the AFL. I think he looked at it. Whereas kind of look what, you know, Rob Keefe brings to the table of this team. Look how he interacts with the players, Look at the energy that he has. Look at the, the diligence and the discipline that he has to coaching. But also, too, look at the salesmanship and look at, you know, what he's doing when he's on camera. Look at how he can kind of almost, um, I would say, kind of, you know, you know, bridge the gap of this next new generation. Right. And so for me, being naive about the situation, solely looking back on it, you know, Coach Adam Shackelford didn't do anything wrong. I mean, we won the championship. We won the championship in 2009 as the AF2 head coach, and then all of a sudden, me, a guy who's on his staff, becomes the head coach. And, you know, I had a couple coaches that get called me, and as I was kind of putting the staff together for 2010, realizing, I mean, I didn't even look at it like that. I looked at it like, hey, I was the chosen one. I'm so in love with Spokane. This is just a natural fit, you know, and, and the competition gets the best of me. almost looks like people think maybe, hey, I stabbed him in the back. Or, you know, that really hurt me. And I know that it hurt him. You know, we were very, very close. And, and that, those are kind of things that, that break those friendships, that break those bonds. Yeah. I remember uh, I had an opportunity. This is when the UFL also was going on, where uh, Coach Jay Gruden uh, was coaching the Florida Tuskers. Um, he, uh, coach Muncie was down there, who obviously I knew from uh, Philadelphia Soul head coach. He was down there, really good friends with him. Um, and then again, you know, the Sean McVay was down there in UFL, the Tuskers. I remember talking to Coach Muncie about an opportunity with the Florida Tuskers. Hindsight, again, looking at it, if I didn't take the Spokane shock job, I could have gone and been on a staff in the UFL with the Florida Tuskers and maybe created new you know, connections that I wasn't able to have right. in, the, in the AFL world. Now, obviously, Sean McVay now coaching the, the, the LA Rams. You, know, all the, you just never know where you're going to end up. But when I was presented the opportunity to be the Spokane Shock head coach, I think me and Brady Nelson knew that it was going to be kind of a, a balancing act in and in a tightrope walk about, you know, they don't know what you bring to the table, but the optics are going to look like, hey, you took the job from him. You know, there's going to be a lot of pressure on you. Are you okay for this? And I looked at it as if they didn't believe an ownership. And again, not knocking Brady Nelson by any means. This is just what I felt. Right. If, if they were offering me this position and felt that, Coach Shackelford, for whatever reason, wasn't going to be a person that could usher them into this new AFL. If they do go out and get somebody else, well, that person's going to probably clean house, and then ultimately we're all going to be gone. Right. And so I looked at it where I was almost making a stand for Spokane. We're like, no, no, no. Like, I, like if you're going to get if you're going to get anybody, and it's not going to be him, then it's got to be me. And so now hindsight, would I have not taken the job? No, I don't think I did anything wrong per se. And again, these are my own insecurities because I do really care about what people think. I mean, I, you know, coaches that say that they ultimately do because we're in the, we're in the position of, you know, getting people to games. We're in the position of recruiting players. Like, you know, you can't have success, I think, without having people that are going to believe in what you do. And so ultimately, I, you know, I really do feel bad in terms of the way that it went down because my first interview as a head coach in 2010 I remember Kevin Maloney, who's a good guy. He was director of communications for uh, the Spokane Shock. He didn't know, and much like yourself, you know, when you're asking these questions, uh, you know, a lot of people on my end don't know the questions that are going to come. Sometimes you have the questions written out. You know, right. what are the five questions you're going to ask me so you're not going to surprise me or jump attack me? Well, I didn't, you know, I was so new to this. 
I mean, again, mind you, I'm 28 years old when I become this head coach. I mean, that's how young I was. And then uh, I never forget the guy who asked me the questions. And it was the first question was, do you feel that you stabbed Coach Shackelford in the back? I mean, this was, you know, this is big time Spokane, you know, 60 yeah. minutes hard hitting drama stuff. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I took it in stride. And, but then I realized to honor him, to honor the Spokane Shock, to honor, to make sure people realized that I was chosen for a reason and didn't do some conspiracy groundwork behind the scenes to get this job. I'm going to show you how good of a coach I am. And I'm going to put the staff together that, that deserves to be here, people that do care about this uh, and, and want to have this win. And we did. And at the end, I mean, I, we'll talk about it here, but we were very, very fortunate to, again, win the 2010, you know, Arena Bowl and the new AFL era and, and my first, uh, you know, championship as a head coach at, at 29 years old. Yeah. Um, where you talk about before, let's go ahead and talk about. It. I mean, let, let's. How did you get? How did you get put together such a good team? I said this is the first time that you have really put together a team from scratch. It, it, it is and it isn't a you know Spokane. They, it was and wasn't a, an expansion franchise because obviously they had so much history before that. But it was you needed different players for this different game it, 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 that you had been played. You know, you had coaching just a year before. You brought in a couple of guys that you not only that you played for, but were also teammates. Talk us about how you're able to get together all these guys and, and how they're able to jail so well. Well, you know, and I tell you, and there's and there's uh, some ups and downs to that. You know, for me personally, I'm a person who is I am able to uh, not have the lines blurred of professional and business relationships. I'm, right. I'm able to say, look, this look, my job here is to win football games. And by winning football games, hopefully the organization is making as much money as possible. Hopefully we're, you know, being great people for the community, you know, and so on and so forth. So for me, going back to our conversation of the difference of AF2 and AFL, if we are going to hold true of these AFL new sayings and, and, and new model, I'm going to make sure that we have players that I know can be the best they possibly can be and not just AF2 players. We need AFL caliber players. So it's, it's, it's funny because there's a lot of guys who I'm still friends with to this day, who I'm sure they remember these conversations and I don't fault them by any bit, but there was players on the AFL Spokane shock team, AF2 Spokane shock team that did not want to resign with the AFL Spokane shock with me because they looked at me as this young coach who probably doesn't know. And there's nothing wrong with that. There was a lot of people that still saw me as a, a, a you know, kind of a eh, up and comer, but really a nobody at that time or, Hey, or a buddy or, Hey man, like Rob, like I love you, man. But like, you know, I'm gonna go coach. You know, they're going to go with that, that storied yeah. veteran coach. And I did, I said, okay. I was like, I realize where you're going. There's nothing. I don't take offense to that. But now let me really, really get to work. And so what we did was we signed uh, a number of players back that played um, for the Spokane Shock uh, in AF2 that came up in the AFL. But then what we did was I looked at, from a roster standpoint, I looked at every player that played in the AFL in 2008 before the AFL folded, and we looked at every player's salary, and we looked at every player that uh, was of, of particular age and a player that regardless of monetary status, if they were young, they still had a lot left to play. And then if they were a little bit older, they weren't making that much money because of the salary cap in the 2008, that maybe they would be okay with playing for the kind of money that we had in 2010. And then again, we put the boards together, you know, almost like you'd see on a draft board, but obviously they're all free agents in arena football and just went to work. And we just called, it was call center central. We sold Spokane. 
Uh, we sell it much like you would be selling a college. Hey, this is what we do. This is how we feed you. This is how we house you. This is how how far your money can stretch in Spokane. Uh, this is what the tax situation is like in Spokane. This is what the job situation is like in Spokane because it's one of those places where you can live here and have a really good job because you play for the Spokane Shock because people care about you. They know who you are. You're not some guy in a house on a hill. You don't get washed away in a major city by other of the five major sports. And so guys understood that. And we put a really, really good team together and, uh, you know, we did it. And I'm just, I'm so proud of, of how we put it together. But I think first when you're a younger person and don't have that much experience, you can't get caught up into people have more experience than me. You have to be super confident in what you do. A lot of people I know were, didn't like me. A lot of people thought I was, you know, I was abrasive or you have to kind of wait your turn and, and you're too much too quick. And, and you just gotta, you gotta be able to push that stuff aside, knowing that you have good intentions in your heart. Um, you guys were, uh, the, the talk of the league that year, obviously. And, and this is just my opinion. I want to know what you think about this. I mean, you guys, very good season, 13 and three amongst the, you know, the veteran teams, the veteran teams that have been around the AFL for so many years. Um, you, you, as you said before, you got to the, to the championship again, what, what is with you in the championship coach? I mean, you've been, <laughs> you know, I think this is what five out of six now, if I'm, if I'm doing my math correctly or four out of four, four of the last six, whatever it is. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, four, yeah, four out of the last uh, six. Yep. Yeah. Um, what did you feel when you hit when you went to the to the Arena Bowl? Because I, as as at the time, I know that, I, and, and this is this is my opinion that I felt that I don't think that I gave the Spokane Shock enough credit, and the reason why is because I think that in my head, I, again, I was still thinking it's like how you know how can an AF two team go up against one of the veteran teams that have play, been playing in such a storied history in the Tampa Bay Storm in the Arena Bowl. There's going to be no question who's going to win this game. Do you find going into the game itself, the Arena Bowl versus Tampa, at home, by the way, that you felt that the, that the, your team did not get any respect because your team came from the AF2 and everybody was thinking, ah, AF2 versus AFL, there's not going to be any any question. Oh, without a doubt. You know, without a doubt. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't forget things. I'm one of those guys that I think a lot of competitors do this. And I always use kind of the, the docuseries with, uh, you know, the last dance with Jordan, mm-hmm. when you kind of find ways to not like people and you find ways to not forget what somebody did to then manifest it into something greater. So when you do compete against them, you just want to bury them and it makes you want to work even harder. But if I didn't have the year that I had in 2008, to be around all these great players for the Philadelphia soul and the AFL and all these great coaches. I mean, really, really great coaches. I mean, two, you know, coach Muncie, obviously coach for the Washington Redskins, yeah. coach Odom and coach Maynard are, are, are head college football coaches right now. Coach Mickey Mays. I mean, just a, just a, you know, a legend in the game himself in terms of what he brings to the table. I mean, I, I got to see this on a daily, daily basis. And I was able to bring that kind of work mentality, that work ethic of, okay, Hey, this is the formula of how you win as a coach. I literally, to a T, followed almost to uh, literally uh, literally on script every single day of what the Philadelphia Soul did in 2008. Right. I did in 2010. Now, 2009, I struggled with that a little bit. I struggled, not saying not being the head coach, but kind of still seeing the AF2 mentality of not practicing a particular way and right. not having meetings structured a particular way. And, and, and that's Coach Shackers, that's his... Uh, 
his choice. I mean, all, as a head coach, and then for me knowing that wherever I was going to be a head coach, I didn't realize it was going to happen that soon. But it was like, hey, this is the structure, at least from an AFL standpoint. This is what it was going to be. So make no mistake, we actually started the season two and two. We finished thirteen and three, but we started two and two. So yeah. that's how many games we were able to go eleven and one. You know, over the course of the twelve games, and so it got to a point where the players, some who came from the AF two some who were in the AFL, they started to get this routine. They started to get this structure. They started to see how diligent and how organized things were. And they started how to see the attention to detail and what was expected of them. And then they started to see kind of, I think, how you hear me talk now. They started really kind of, I think, believe in me. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, respect is earned. I don't, I don't want to, you know, force it on anyone. But it's like, okay, Rod, you know, he can talk, he can recruit. Okay, can he coach? Can he lead? And then it was like, then we all started learning about each other, and we started going and going and going. So when we got to the championship game, very fortunate that we were able to host it. And again, Tim Markham, all the respect in the world. Yeah. Coach Dave Ewart, who just coached with me in Auburn. I've, I just, I mean, a friend for, for eternity. I love him so much. Just a great coach. Brett Dietz, obviously, is a the quarterback there. You know, the right head coach uh, for a football uh, a college now. I mean, it's, they had a really, really good team. But I think for me, it was hearing – certain questions that were asked towards us uh, in media day, um, reading a lot of things. I'm, I'm Look, I read everything. I, I know what people think of me. I know what people might believe or not believe. I'm very in tune to that stuff. So when you say athletes and coaches, they kind of block out the noise. I, I actually relish it. I want it because I, I want to use it. And uh, I felt that the way that the Tampa Bay Storm carried themselves and the questions that were being asked us and all the chatter around the Arena Football League, they thought that we didn't belong we got lucky, and that's hard. I think when you're 13 to three and you do the things that you do, and you have all the all stars on your team, and you have all these guys that are working really hard, and to say that that's just a fluke, we wanted to make sure that we're going to make sure this is this is not a fluke. We're going to leave no doubt that we're the best team in this league. Uh, and, and fortunately enough, again, all the respect to the coaches, but we had to use that and internalize that to win. I mean, to me, every time you know, I've never won. The, the you know head coaching uh, of the year award in arena football I'm I don't forget those things and I know that when certain players are slided or certain coaches are slided like you, you make sure we use those things because uh, you have to as a player and you got to find yeah. some kind of fuel to, to your fire so yeah very very happy we were able to do that at home that that was a great a great night uh, a great moment in Spokane not shock just shock history but you know the city of Spokane that was that was a, that was an awesome game. And yeah, watching it on TV, I, I, and I know how loud it, it can get in Spokane. I mean, it's just, as I said, rabid fans there in the Spokane area, respect for indoor football. It's just absolutely uh, a great city for for indoor football. Now, this is your fourth championship, Coach. Uh, now, what are you thinking to yourself? As I said, I know you take every year by year. Every team is different, and as you said, players make players win the championships. But this is not your fourth championship. You already have your you already have four rings. What was what made you? Because you obviously had a lot longer career after that. You play, you know, you coached for another ten years. What made you keep on going, considering you'd already won so many championships? Well, I think for me, the, the love of arena football. You know, I think again, not putting me up there with Bill Belichick or Nick Saban, not saying that by <laughs> any means. But when I when I listen to them talk, I, I mean, I really do study them. I read their books. Um, just as far as when you do win, how then you're able even the next day to then now work on the next season. I mean, that, that's really all it is, right? You win, awesome, and then you now start over. And so that process, I mean, that's right now what I love the most about football is the process and the preparation to then win these games. You know, the winning will take care of itself based on what you do, you know, Monday through Friday. And so it's the same kind of concept where, hey, you know, it's, I guess it's almost a gift and a curse where 
I think a lot of people can speak on this. At least I, I, I definitely know this. I mean, I feel it in my heart that I hate losing more than I love winning. And so when you win the championship, because of all the steps you did and because of the great players that make the great plays, because of how hard they worked and the fan base and everybody that's involved, you look at it when the confetti's coming down, you're like, yeah, this is what I expected. I expected this to happen because we envisioned it. We thought about it. We internalized it. We followed the proper and necessary steps to win this championship. When you lose, you don't, you're like, how did this happen? I didn't, I didn't think, I know who thinks that they're going to lose. At least I don't. And so after you win, you know, you take a week and then it's like, okay, time to get started. And you, you kind of digest it and you stay humble and it's like, Hey, like there, there's just more to do. And, and there's, let's do it again. Because then I think in this day and age, and it's, I think it's hard on a lot of people in this American society, it's just like this constant, okay, well, what do you, what do you do for me lately? So yeah. then you're like, yeah, you, you approach the 2011 season. Well, you got to do it again because everybody thinks it's a fluke in 2010. And again, a chip gets back on your shoulder because people don't think you can do it twice. Well, you're, oh, let me show you. And then, and then again, you find your fire and you, and you move forward and you follow the necessary steps that you did you know, just like you did the year before. So you're talking about 2011. I mean, you end up the season at 9-9. Nine and nine. Uh, In your opinion, because I'm looking at the, the, the stats here for – uh, I don't want to say you had a, a rotating quarterback, but I mean, what? I mean, you had quite a few quarterbacks that threw a threw a pass that year. But what, uh, in your opinion, what was the difference between the 2010 team and the 2011 team that got knocked off in the first round by the Arizona Rattlers? Yeah, I mean, I will say this, and hopefully, people are learning a lot about me that haven't maybe got to speak with me on a, on a daily basis. But anytime, even as a coach, I mean, even that 2007 season. You know, saying that I was at fault. I mean, I look at things like that. I, I'm always a person when something goes wrong. What could I have done better? What did I do to cause this situation? Whether you know I should put that internal blame on myself or not. But being as a head coach, us going nine and nine and losing in the first round—that's completely on me. Completely on me. For me, I felt like I was having a tumultuous year personally. And when you say personally, mm-hmm. uh, nothing from a relationship standpoint or anything like that. Nothing I was going through, but I felt. And again, not a knock on the Spokane Shock organization, but I am a person who wants to have things their way when it comes to winning. Like, hey, this is the steps we have to take. We can't slack here. We can't. We have to continue. We got to move forward. I assumed, and this again, being naive now at 30 years old, you know, again, thinking that you've conquered the world because you won four championships in the last six years, that it's just going to continue this way, that I assumed that. As a Spokane Shock organization, we were going to now go up and up and up. We were more money was going to be coming in. Like, what more can we do? We're selling out crowds. You know, we're winning championships. Now it's, hey, we're going to travel better. We're going to eat better. Mm-hmm. We're going to. And then when you realize things kind of stay status quo. And again, unfortunately, Spokane had some issues with major sponsors and no fault of their own. There was just some kind of, you know, there's some falling outs. And I think businesses were, were struggling a little bit. So money was being pulled out. So then you start seeing things kind of go down a little bit. And for me, it's like, Hey, like that's, that shouldn't happen. I'm not used to the, the roller coaster of the business. I'm thinking right. it's a, you know, we're climbing a mountaintop here. We're just going to get better and better and better, you know, at least with that, that, that chart in my mind. So that to me, I think for me personally was difficult. That was a learning experience for me uh, on my end to say, look, like no matter how much you win, you know, no matter how many fans are in the seats, if the money is not right and sponsors are having tough times and your city is having tough times financially, you're ultimately, you're going to suffer. And yeah. when it starts to kind of creep onto the field and, you know, you're, again, not placing blame on anybody else, but when you're taking, 
you know, your normal maybe one layover to a game is turning out to be three or four layovers to a game on the road, it becomes a little bit different, and that starts to wear on you. And I let that get to me, and that that's on me. So that's my own personal experience. But mm-hmm. as far as the players go, yeah, we had some we had some injuries. Uh, we had guys that were being traded away. Um, you know, for me personally, you know, we started with uh, Fred Bolitnikoff Jr. Uh, as offensive coordinator. Unfortunately, those that didn't work out. No fault of his own. Just maybe wasn't a great fit. Um, maybe force that a little bit. Then Andy Olson comes in as an offensive coordinator, does a great job, right? Just a young up and comer, um, you know, but it took him a little while to get going. So all those things, you know, Raul V Hill, who's a great player, uh, you know, he's coming off an ACL injury from the year before kind of wasn't himself, you know, take it for what it was. It was almost one of those things where it just wasn't our year. And I asked this, I asked uh, coach, uh, Cruisenberry, Travis Cruisenberry, who was still on staff with me, uh, you know, friends all that time. I said, what's the difference? I said, what's the difference this year? Are we not, are we coach? And this is again, being a younger coach, trying yeah. to force it, trying to figure out what's happening. I know I'm coaching hard. I know uh, I'm able to push things off uh, that have nothing to do with football to block. You know, I'm able to you know, fight through adversity. Like we all are. We're teaching these guys good stuff. A lot of our guys enjoy each other. We're getting rid of the bad apples that, that aren't a good fit for our team. And he said, you know, sometimes in arena football, the ball doesn't bounce your way. And he said in 2010, the ball bounced our way a lot. It really did. And when you look back on these games, I mean, we really had some close games that went our way. And then those games that were close that went our way in 2010 didn't go our way in 2011. Right. And it was just it was just one of those years. And, the, and it was tough. It, it really was. And I didn't make it any better by my attitude of not knowing how to lose. I think that's something that I've, I've learned to kind of grow into and uh, being very honest about it. Like as a, as a coach, as a player, you know, I am not a good loser. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a powder in a way, but I don't like to lose, especially for how much I put into it. Right. Uh, I'm not one of these guys that, I mean, look, if I'm playing my grandma in checkers, I do not want to lose. I don't want to <laughs> lose to her. I don't want to like, you know, with my young nieces and nephews, like I purposely don't let them win. If they win, it's on their own accord. It's not because I let them win. Like I just, right. that's just how I feel. And, uh, that was a good. That was a really good learning experience for me to go nine and nine and losing the first round of playoffs. Like you said, something that just wasn't really something that I was used to. But uh, again, a, a very good learning experience year for me. Uh, something different that happened in twenty six uh, in in uh, twenty eleven. We'll, we'll go on uh, to the other years in a couple of minutes. But something different to happen for you uh, on the field and. Um, it, it, for the very first time, what was considered the a, the uh, a true outdoor football arena football game, the Shock um, hosted an outdoor game at Joe Alby Stadium versus the Utah Blaze. Um, I want to know what, what your thoughts about this because obviously some places you have to practice outside. Some places you're able that you're able to have access to the to the arenas to have your practices and stuff like that. What was your thought as a head coach saying, well, wait a minute, we're going to play an outdoor game of arena football? This can't be right. What were your thoughts? See, I, see, I thought it was cool. I mean, I really yeah. did. When I first, a lot of coaches don't want to deviate from, you know, their, their, their normal day to day, right? That right. When things are, things, you know, get, uh, you know, crossed in the normal preparation for a normal game, some coaches can't adapt to that. Well, for me, I'm looking at it, well, look, both teams have to play on this outdoor field. We're the home team. So obviously we're going to have the advantage of being able to practice outdoors. Well, outdoors is on turf. It was still on turf. And again, it's how well can you communicate to your players of, you know, what this is going to be like. And so we were very fortunate to have good weather. 
Uh, I remember going out there twice uh, with the players um, at Joel Abbey Stadium to see the, the, the field, to see the dimensions, to see what this is going to be like, how close the fans are going to be to us, what's the weather going to be like, right? I mean, we're in the Pacific Northwest. Is it going to rain? Uh, those don't realize, in Spokane, it gets very, very hot in the summertime. I mean, it is, it is I mean, 100-degree type hot sometimes yeah. in the summertime. So you just never know what you're going to get. Very different than Seattle weather. So, But it was cool. I mean, it really was. I give all the credit to the owners for having this idea. I mean, cranes were holding up the – uh, you know, the, the Nets, yep. I mean, that, that, yeah, that was, that was a pretty cool experience. Um, and again, fortunately we were able to win, uh, we beat the Utah blaze, um, uh, in, in a great game. I think it was really cool. I think it was cool for them too. You know, obviously they were on the losing side, but I think it was a really good experience, um, to just kind of have that, you know, you know, that first time experience to say like, this is, this is something that is going to be history. Spokane is a place that you can do that in. And that shows you, I think kind of the relationship that the Spokane community had with the, the organization that they were able yeah. to pull something like that off. I mean, that, that was really neat. Uh, and again, look, I, I never forget. I mean, there was people, you know, Cliff Clingsbury was actually in attendance because Chaz Gessner, uh, who was a wide receiver for us, played for the university of Brown, good friends with uh, Kyle Rowley. Um, played for the New England Patriots. He was really good friends with Cliff Clingsbury. Cliff Clingsbury was in our in our bench the whole game watching. I mean, it was there were so many people that have seen arena football that are now doing such great things. And and I, I remember that. I remember him talking to me after the game. He's like, "Man, Rob, this is this is pretty cool." And you know, I think a lot of people remember that game. It goes down in history as a, a pretty fun uh, pretty fun moment. Um, twenty twelve was a very different year for you in in, in many ways. Um, but I want to at first ask you, Coach. You know, Spokane. You, I would, I would imagine you would have called your your second home or your first home, uh, considering how much history you've had with that city. Um, what led you to uh, to uh, to go to uh, to obviously uh, lose the the job as head coach and head to Orlando? Yeah, yeah. So this is that's, that's and and. I, and Again, I'm so I so I enjoy talking about this, and I think yeah. if anything that people get from this, uh, no matter how many listen, um, that I want people to understand that the the road and to success, in my opinion, it's all about how you conquer adversity. It's all about how you learn about yourself. It's all about the trials and tribulations that you overcome. Um, it's never going to be an easy drive, and so to take that in consideration, I'm assuming that hey, I'm almost like I, I equate it this way sometimes. When you win four out of six championships. Yeah. At a young age in professional football, it's almost like that child actor that wins an Oscar at like 14 or something where you just assume that it's going to happen all the time because of what you've done. Um, not realizing that, hey, your 15 minutes could be up. You know, you don't look at it like that. You don't realize that you're in the moment that a lot of people haven't accomplished these kind of things and it could be gone uh, just as quick as it arrived. And so for me in 2011, losing to Arizona the way we did, I realized there was kind of a balance shift uh, that was going on behind the scenes, uh, you know, with the Spokane Shock. I think they right. were getting tired of me in terms of my demands of wanting to get better uh, outside of football, wanting to get bigger, wanted more, better apartments, wanted more food, um, you know, wanted to travel a particular way. And I wasn't at that stage of my career very – I don't say I won't say articulate because I think I communicate well, but abrasive in the in the way that I communicated. Um, and I got too big for my britches. I mean, that's really what it was. I mean, me not being with Spokane uh, after the 2011 season, they let my contract run out. Uh, you know, didn't get fired, didn't resign. Um, I could have resigned, but I didn't want to. I didn't feel that you know I was going to resign. Um, but it was literally it was it was one of those situations where I think ownership, uh, much like any CEO. 
remind you of who's boss. And, uh, you know, I was reminded of that very, very quickly. And then a place that I really did enjoy, I really did love. Um, but it was a number of things. It was, it was, I think, but at the end of the day, it was Rob is getting too much. Uh, he's eventually going to cost us money because he's not, and I say he is in me, that I was not, I was not agreeing to where I think the AFL was. And I, and I got upset because I saw what the AFL could be. I saw these big contracts. And my, I'm under the opinion that when you win and you have all these you know, fans in the seats, well, let's get bigger. Let's keep going. Like, why are we, why are we plateauing? Why are we not making as much money as we should? Like, what's going on here? And um, sometimes, you know, they want to hear that from a coach. Hey, they just want coaches to coach. And understanding that now, um, and I think all coaches, I mean, any coach that's going to listen to that has gone through that at one point in their life where they're like, hey, that's what young coaches do. Sometimes they stick their noses in places that they shouldn't. And right. you got to remember, you got to let the owners make these decisions. So that was my learning experience. I mean, that was 100% um, my learning experience. And so what happened was it was about, 10 days left on my contract because I signed a two-year deal. And I remember I called my father and I said, hey, you know, I haven't heard from the owners here, you know, since the since we lost the first round of the playoff game. And he said, you know, how, you know, how long has that been? I said, you know, it's been about two weeks. They haven't talked to me. He said, well, that's not good. He said, it's either, he's like, more than likely, you're probably going to be fired. And that's what, that's what happens, you know, when the communication stops, much like any relationship, right? When it's yeah. Your, your, your boyfriend, girlfriend, and somebody doesn't call anybody for a, you know, a certain amount of time, well, you probably get the hint. And so for me, I was prepared. I said, you know, hey, well, he's like, are you going to resign? I said, no, I'm not going to resign. If they don't want to, uh, you know, they want to fire me four days before my contract ends. I mean, I think that'll show me what they think of me. But if they don't want to resign me, hey, that's their choice. And so they chose not to resign me. Right. And then it was, hey, I felt in my heart outside of my attitude, right? I felt, you know, I obviously could have had a better attitude and, 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 you know, not been so abrasive in terms of, hey, wanting this to be, I mean, I wanted it to be the New York Giants. That's just how I am. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I want it to be, I'm, I want it, I want to be the Dallas Cowboys. You know, even though I'm not coaching the NFL, I want every team I'm coaching for to be the best, to, to have the most fans, to have the best entertainment value. Um, and realizing I could have walked those back, you know, a lot of those, you know, I don't say comments, but just attitude back over the last few months, I realized that I did everything I possibly could to put Spokane on a platform to be the best that it is. And I felt good with that. I was I actually able to internalize that. And I said, hey, that's, uh, that's what it's going to be. So what I did then was, um, again, you have some time. I know that eventually you're going to get a phone call, you know, from somebody in the Arena Football League. And, you know, I drove home. So Myrtle Beach, I would consider is, is home base. Myrtle Beach okay. is my brother lives there um, uh, with his wife. They have four kids. I have a little place in Myrtle Beach where me and my mom and my father will go. If that's kind of where we can always just kind of get away from the getaway. And uh, so I went there. I mean, I drove from Spokane to Myrtle Beach, cross country. It got there within two days. I mean, I don't mess around. Um, and then it was, hey, let's take some time off and let's let's relax. Let's breathe a little bit. And then uh, after a few months, um, the Orlando Predators gave me a call and the Orlando Predators were being coached by my former coach, uh, the Philadelphia soul and Brett Muncie. And he didn't have that much money left. Obviously there's coaching budgets, but he said, Hey, look, I think, uh, you know, I think you can be the offensive coordinator. And he's like, I've seen what you've done on the offensive side of the ball. Um, he knew that I was, uh, you know, mainly a defensive person, but I convinced him. And I still believe in this day, you know, that I, I believe in my abilities. And I said, look, I can, I can be an offensive coordinator for you, coach. And he, he allowed me to, you know, have that opportunity. And I, I, I commend him for giving me that shot. And we had some great coaches. Mickey Mays was on there. Robert McFarland, who's now the offensive line coach for Louisiana Tech. He's coached some big schools. Um, we were all there together. Um, Kiwan Ratliff, uh, defensive back, he was there learning the game. He's now obviously with the University of Florida. So we had a really, really good staff, in my opinion. Um, so it was cool. I was, I, was, I was proud to get the opportunity. And here I go in 2012 from 
in Washington to Orlando, Florida, and I've become the offensive coordinator of the Orlando Predators. Uh, as I said, you know, uh, this year was very unique in itself. And not only, you know, you had to go through this whole thing when he got hired by their Predators, but again, you've run into the labor issues when it, that the league did have during its course of its, of, you know, of its history. Give me your, give me your thoughts, because th- everybody knows about what happened that very first game of that season between you guys and the Pittsburgh Power. You know, everybody knows about what I think some people have dubbed it the um, uh, the Olive Garden game because of what happened to the Pittsburgh roster before this game. Um, what what were your thoughts? Are you a uh, are you a union guy? Uh, what were you were you sympathetic with what the players are going through? And and finally, what was it like going through that very first game, considering it was an utter mess? <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I think for any coach to say that they're pro-union or anti-union, I think you can get caught up with semantics and get caught up into putting yourself in a precarious position. The way, yeah. the way that I believe is when you see how labor unions and other major professional sports um, coexist, and you, when you see them on a particular um, level where they both are respectful of each other, where they recognize, hey, we do have the same goals in our mind. We want to you know, reach a... Um, you know, appropriate decision that benefits both sides. Like, I appreciate that stuff. And I think, you, yeah. can, you know, every coach in this game has been a player. So to say that every single player or every single coach doesn't agree with the union, it's I understand that they're tough in owners. I understand right. that that's really tough. But I understand, too, if you're a player and you don't have the adequate ownership that you should have to put you in the best position where you have the best medical and the best food available mm-hmm. to you and the best practice conditions and you travel a particular way. Those things are tough. Those things and how can we perform at the highest level? So I see it from both sides. And I really do always hope that when there are unions involved, that they're able to agree and we're able to play. And that's really what it's tough for the coaches. Right. The coaches don't have a union. You know, coaches can be fired left and right. Uh, you know, coaches don't have really a say, uh, you know, I'm yes, I of course I believe in my owner because my owner hired me and I, I appreciate right. the ownership. Of course I believe in the players because I just signed all these guys and, and we believe in them because they're the team that we established and put together. So you really feel like sometimes you're caught in the middle and then it, I felt that way more than I ever have felt during that game because the preparation again in the lead up to it was yeah. not the way that you would want to have a team be put on the field. I mean it really was a circus. Uh, it was very difficult. Um, I, I, I feel for Coach Muncie because, again, I always look at what could I have done better. You know, you're going through camp and you have all these guys uh, who are, uh, you know, played, you know, you know big-time college football, played in the NFL, and here they are in this first experience where you can tell that there's rumblings that they're actually going to hold out and not play. So guys were being kind of cut left and right. Guys were being traded. Um, the 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 way that the Orlando Predators at that time, no offense to the ownership group, you know, that was running it then, it, yeah. it was set up not again where I saw kind of Spokane. And sometimes you don't realize what you have until it's gone, right? And what you had in Spokane, what I definitely had it for the Philadelphia Soul, you realize that the Orlando Predators were doing without that even, you know, on a lower level. And you're like, wow, how can this be successful? Okay, well, me as a coach, I'm going to do the best I possibly can. And so it was tough. I think it was really tough. Um, for uh, the players because they didn't know what they wanted to do. So fast forward through camp, which is only two or three weeks in the Arena Football League, you know, uh, take that for what that's worth. Um, But then, you know, that last week we realized probably what's going to happen. And I remember Coach Muncie asking, he said, do you think these players are going to play? And I said, Coach, I don't know, man. I I have no idea 
you know, what's going to happen. Um, and then some of them wanted to play. Some of them didn't want to play. Um, I remember three days before the game, uh, two days before the game, we were playing the Pittsburgh Power, coming down to play in the Amway Center. And uh, Derek Stingley and Chris Siegfried, Derek Stingley was the uh, head coach. I really know Chris Siegfried was head coach. Um, or maybe I get it wrong, but um, obviously respect for both those guys who coached me in arena football too. They realized that they had to come down earlier because if all of these players on both teams decide not to play, we are still going to put a game on for all the fans who bought season tickets. And this was going to be on the NFL network and with the right. 25th year anniversary. And we're going to be um, recognizing all these great players who have come before us uh, that have made this game for what it is. So we had uh, out on Tinker field, which is a baseball field um, outside of the, the citrus bowl, which is now camping world stadium in Orlando. We had about 200 players that have never played arena football before. Okay. And we had an open tryout. And we had an open tryout that uh, basically was to field two teams in a Pittsburgh Power jersey and an Orlando Predator jersey. And we we're going to say these are our teams and we're going to try to do the best we possibly could. Well, you have an hour to figure out who you want on your team. And then after you get who's on your team, you have an hour to kind of implement you know, the, the game plan, I mean, it, it really was difficult. I mean, to, to I, I felt bad for everyone involved because knowing how long it takes to prepare a team to play the first game and going back to the, all the way at the beginning of this, how this started about talking about how to learn about arena football, to be able to yeah. teach people a day on NFL Network, the 25th game anniversary, and to kind of pass that as it's like, this is arena football. Yeah. I just, I felt bad. And, and for me, uh, I mean, I can't honestly, I can't even remember what the score was. I was upset, I remember, um, because the Pittsburgh Power players were then coming back onto the field at halftime. And yeah. so we were kind of upset because I think from the Orlando Predator side, I remember Coach Muncie was upset that we made an agreement, made a gentleman's agreement. Whoever starts the game is going to finish the game. So we had maybe about four or five players originally from the Orlando Predators that played for us. And about the other 15 players have never played arena football before. Um, and then maybe the same thing on the Pittsburgh Power. Well, the Pittsburgh Power ended up bringing about five or six other AFL players back onto the field after halftime. So I think they ended up winning the game. We were really upset because that's kind of, you know, they, you know, not, let's not make us look bad on national TV and, you know, right. in the Amway Center, which is our home field. Um, but anyway, it was just, it was a really tough situation. Again, another complete learning experience for me. But uh, I think just kind of a sad day, I think, in, in, in the arena football world. I, I remember some of the players, again, because you don't fault the players, you just didn't want it to happen. I just, I, I really felt like, you know, you're just witnessing almost your parents divorcing in some way. It was just, yeah. I, you know, players were on the other side of the Amway Center Street. They refused to go into the building. You know, I'm out there trying to coax them to come in. Uh, Coach Muncy says, look, we got to get this started. He's trying to, you know, do the best he can with answering the questions and, and interviews. Uh, you know, in the meantime, you know, the ownership is like, hey, look, we got to move forward with this. So it, it was just tough. It, it was tough, I think, for everybody involved. I think everybody involved would probably have done that completely differently all over again, uh, given the chance, because it, it, it was a it was a dark day for arena football. Yeah, for fans too, because I you know I remember one of our colleagues here at Arena Fan. He was there covering the game, and he was, you know, as you said, uh, he was. We're, they were just trying to make sure that they got the right rosters for the NFL Network guys, so they could put the stat, you know, put all the stats up and whatnot. So. So it it must have been hard, basically, the way that you describe it, Coach, is that you basically played uh, a game of backyard uh, backyard football, and that's the, whatever team you chose is what came with you to to the arena that night. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's really what it was. I mean, that, that, that's wow. really how it went down. Um, you know, and then, you know, think about protecting a quarterback that with offensive linemen who have never played before. And yeah. if somebody on the Pittsburgh Power, you know, was a first-team All-Arena player that decided to play, I mean, he's just manhandling some 260-pound guy who has no business being out there in the mm-hmm. first place. I mean, it was, it was tough. It, it really was. And, again, I, I still look at it like, hey, what could I have done to win the game? I mean, that's how I – that's for me, that's yeah. just what I think about it. Yeah. What could I have done still – in that moment to have helped our team, uh, you know, come out on top. Yeah. And if anybody knows the history of the AFL, uh, it, it sounds very, very similar to what it was like for Jim Foster when he was first trying to get this thing started in 1986. So it sounds very familiar, but you know, as you said, we're 25 years into the season, uh, 25 years into the history of the AFL. So not, it wasn't a good sign, but you know, it's every league seems to have, have their bad days. So, and this, this was one of them. Um, why did I think I think the best way to ask this to you, Coach, is how did you only last through April as a yeah. as, an, as an OC? Yeah, I think again, Coach Monty is super professional, and I still talk to him this day. Uh, I don't fault him uh, by any means for letting me go, because again, I come back at the stage of of I always will say this: What could I have done better in that situation? Um, you know, now again, I don't want to sell myself short. Uh, I, I think it was it was a couple of things. Um, ultimately. I think what ended up happening uh, when you look back at it is I want to say, and I want to sell them short either. I want to say that they might've finished three and 13, maybe, maybe it was four and 12. Um, so I think I lasted until after the third game. I don't know if I, I might've made it to the fourth game. So we obviously went, they counted that game, the, the, you know, the strike game, if you call it, Owen yep. one, we actually ended up going Owen three. And then coach Monty had a discussion with me. And it was one of those things where I was kind of taken aback by it because I said, look, man, I know I can do so much more. And that's just me. You know, I'm, I'm always going to try to try to win in the sense of like, I can do this. I know I can do this. But for me, I just wasn't getting the job done. We were putting up a lot of points. Um, we're kind of going back and forth with both quarterbacks, uh, both quarterbacks, great people uh, and great players. You know, Colin Draft, who's now the, the head coach of Nice uh, High School, uh, where Tim Tebow went. He's doing a phenomenal job, uh, just did an awesome job in the state of Florida as an offensive coordinator, now a head coach and major high school football and then, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know Edwards. I mean, what, what a what a great, great quarterback and Trevor Edwards, who's now obviously doing a, a great job in the CFL. Those were our quarterbacks, and so for me, is the I felt we had enough power, firepower and T.T. Uh, T. Tolliver and Nate Force, um, you know, a number of other receivers. Um, but I, you know, I just wasn't getting the job done. I, I think offensively, you know, I overextended myself. I wasn't teaching the offensive side of the ball like I normally teach the defensive side of the ball. Um, but then, you know, I did feel too, I think in fairness to me, I think what was really tough for coach uh, Muncy and the other coaches is the lack of, I think, trust after that game. Okay. You know, after we had, after we had that game, uh, you know, the strike game, it's really hard when you're, when you're out there by yourself because you feel like your team abandoned you, even though yeah. you know it has nothing to do with you as a coach. It's, 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 a, it's a union deal. It's with the owners, it's with the players. When they come back the next week as if nothing happened and we're all just going to kind of move forward, I think, you know, from an old school coach that Coach Monty was, I think that was tough for him. You know, I, I felt for him. Um, I knew that, hey, look, being a young coach, I, I still got to do my job. I'm here to support him. I'm here to support the players. I'm trying to bridge the gap the best way I know how by creating relationships with them. But I do think it was it was tough for everybody. And then ultimately I was replaced by Ben Bennett, you know, good offensive mind there came in, I think they won a few games. I want to say they maybe finished three and 13, but for me, it was, it was just, again, it was just wasn't the right fit. Um, I think I learned too, not a knock on coach Muncie by any means, but as a young coach, you always assume 
that you should be coaching. And you always assume that, hey, the, that first phone call, you're going to take it again. I would take it in a heartbeat if Coach Muncy ever asked me to do anything for him. But yeah. for me to jump in and be the OC, to jump in not really knowing what I was getting myself into with kind of the ownership and strike situation and, and being that, can't can't say that that's an excuse by any means. But I think that had a lot to do with me not being there and then moving forward. And, hey, I took it like a man. You, you lick your wounds and, again, travel back to from Orlando to Myrtle Beach and you kind of reassess, hey, is this – you start to question yourself a little bit. You start to say, hey, is this – what happened here? I'm winning four out of, you know, six, you know, years I'm winning the championship. And now all of a sudden I'm not in the game, yeah. you know, and I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't get uh you know, my contract expired. Now I'm fired on this team. You know, what's going on here. And then you just have to go back and you have to center yourself again and still have that confidence that you can get it done. And then things change for the better. I mean, like I said, what a, what a roller coaster year for you. Uh, you, you get, you know, you end up getting hired by one of the one of the names, uh, very well known names in the Arena Football League by uh, you know life or AFL lifer Ron James. You become their D, your their their, their DC uh, coach. How did that come about? Yeah, I was, and I, again, just uh, just how I talk uh, positively about all these coaches that have given me an opportunity. I mean, I talk the world of, of Coach James. I, I think so highly of him. Um, I just think he's a great person, great family man, you know, just a great confidant, you know, but a great leader too. I mean, he really is one of those coaches that he will always be there for all of his players. Like if you play for him for a week and you call him up, he will be there to offer you advice. He's just, he's that coach that I hope to aspire to be as far as giving, you know, that life advice and obviously still being young um, and players somewhat close to my age. They don't look at me maybe as that person, but I hope when I get older to, to be that, that man that Ron James is, that's, that's how much I think of him. So, what ends up happening is I actually, uh, it, so about the fourth week of the season, I'm out in 2012. And then uh, I want to say the, the Utah Blaze, if I get this correctly, they mm-hmm. went seven and six. Um, and they wanted to make a change at their defensive coordinator position. And I think they, you know, talking to Coach James, he realized, hey, you know, Rob is out of football right now. I think this is somebody that can help us. Coach Matt Salk who won a championship with me as the offensive coordinator for the Spokane Shock in mm-hmm. 2010 uh, is from Salt Lake City, Utah. It's from the Utah area, or at least, you know, residents there. He was coaching for the Utah Blaze. And so he was bouncing ideas off of, um, of, of Salk, you know, to say, hey, this is, this can Rob really help us? And, you know, Salk agreed. I think Ron did all his research and said, hey, let's bring – you know, Rob in here. So I actually get, get the job. They hire me. So I, I travel from again, from Myrtle beach to, to Salt Lake city. <laughs> um, and within two days, um, you know, maybe I, maybe I have three days to prepare, um, I guess the San Antonio Talons that Aaron Garcia is the quarterback. Yep. And again, and I, again, appreciate Ron James introduces me immediately. We could have maybe been six and five. I always get that wrong. Six to five or seven and six. But again, they were, they were putting up big time points. So, you know, they, I mean, Tommy Grady was the quarterback, um, you know, the great receiving core and Tyson Poots and Aaron Lesway and a number of guys. I mean, they were losing games 77 to 74. And it was like, hey, look, we know we can score. Sauk's an excellent offensive mind, but we got we to gotta get, you know, defensive minded here. And so that's where I came in there. And I think coming in there, um, we end up, to, we finished the regular season. The first game we lost, we actually lost almost virtually in the last play of the game. Um, but it was a good learning experience for me. I got to know the guys. I got to see, hey, this is a really good team. I really enjoy this coaching staff. Salt Lake City is an excellent, you know, place for arena football, in my opinion. I mean, beautiful area. You know, the fans really enjoyed it. Um, and then, you know, with me being there, 
uh, again, a piece of the puzzle. I just think I was the last piece of the puzzle. Uh, definitely not all because of me, but just sometimes things work and we end up, uh, you know, if it, maybe it was 11 games into it when I got there. And I want to say it was during, it was an 18 game season then. So we finished the season at seven and one. So the first game I get there, we lost pretty much on the last play. And then we went yeah. seven games in a row because we started kind of to click and they realized, Hey, like we're going to still put up the points but we drastically want to reduce the number of points that are going to be put against us and ultimately helping us win football games. It was a, you know, is it you improved the team so much that year, you got into the playoffs, and it's funny, you talk about your first game as a, as a coach with Utah, uh, you lose a play, you lose down to the last play of the game. You also get beat by a, a, a what should be a future Hall of Famer, Nick Davila, on the last play of the game in the semifinals, to the Arizona Rattlers, um, you guys made strides that year. I mean, but, but uh, you know, as what was it? I mean, it can never be tough. It can never be easy for any coach, no matter where you are in the coaching staff, to lose on a, on a last second play. Is it? No, it's, it's the worst. I mean, something I still think about to this day. You know, it's like I always feel, I feel, I feel bad. Um, again, in the hindsight of life, especially what's going on in the country, uh, you know, right now all across the world, um, you know, for people that play uh, professional football to have nightmares or can't sleep some nights when they think about particular games, you know, that stuff really does happen. And and when you look at all the big perspective, should it, you know, some people say no, like, hey, let it go. You had a great career. You know, for me, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to hang my hat on championships. But again, I always start the new year as another year. And uh, yeah, I think about that often. I think, uh, you know, we, we, unfortunately we left them uh, with a few timeouts. Um, We didn't end up scoring. uh, So we, so they were able to gain a possession on us. Um, And Nick Davila, you know, drove their team all the way down the field. And yeah, on the last play of the game, um, he found, uh, you know, Purify, uh, you know, good receiver for Arizona. He found him, uh, you know, did I want to say a slam go on one of our, our players and, uh, yeah, it was just – it was tough. And, again, me being the defensive coordinator, regardless of what happens yeah. on the offensive side of the ball, I look at it like that's my job to stop this team. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you're the new guy, if you will, I want to I fit in. I want to do my part. And uh, I, still, I still hate that that happened. Uh, you know, obviously tip your hat to Arizona. Oh, yeah. Coach Kevin Guy and those guys, you know, great coaching staff and players. But, you know, that was for me, uh, I think, a moment, too, when you kind of go back the last few years where – Spokane, I look at it like a relationship that just, it was, it was just time. You know, when you have these moments where you just have to part ways, um, it was just time for me to part way, ways with Spokane. Like nobody's at fault. Right. Hey, we loved each other. We just fell out of love. And then I look at, you know, the Orlando and, and, the, and the kind of the first time I was with Orlando, it becomes kind of a, a moment where you're just like, it's just not the right fit. This is a, a, this is a forced relationship. You know, Utah is almost kind of like a rebound. That's how I look at it, right? It's a rebound okay. relationship. It's, it's someone who really does care about you. Maybe you don't. it doesn't feel like it's home, but it definitely is a place where you can find yourself again. And that's what I did. And I, I found myself again in that season, and I found that confidence because Ron James was able to give me an opportunity. And I really – I mean, I don't think he understands what he's done in my life in terms of where I was at that point. But he just, he just helped me so much. And, I, 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 you know, again, I feel bad that we lost on the last play of the game, but I know that those guys did everything they possibly could do to win it if we if we i mean we had battles with arizona i mean that was such a good year i mean three maybe four games total where we played each other it was uh it was awesome it was it was a good experience 
Are those the ones that you, those are losses that you remember the most, Coach, or, or are you, do they just meld together? Because I know, as you said, you don't like to lose, um, and you know each coach can be different from another when it comes to, to winning and losing and what they remember. You know, I've talked to said Bonner many a time, and he re- he remembers obviously the ones that stick in his craw the, the most are the are those those losses. What is it for you? Yeah, I think too. And again, this hopefully doesn't sound uh, conceited or self centered anyway, but I think when you win a lot. And I've been very fortunate to have a, a good winning percentage as a coach and a player. I've just been on very, very good teams. Um, that if you don't have that many losses, you do remember those losses. And so yeah. when I look at it over my career, let's say I had, you know, 35, 40 losses in arena football, probably 15 of those could have been on the last play of the game. You know, 15 of those could have gone either way. So, I mean, the difference, almost like a, a batter in, in, in baseball, the difference of having a, you know, a 300 percentage to, to 270 is so different you know or, or so it's so close and uh you know those are the ones that i think about the most you know the big games where you just fell short uh, yeah. but again what helps me sleep at night is the fact that hey i've always given my all i've yeah. never taken a week off i've never taken a game off uh, i've coached um you know sick um i've coached without a voice uh you know i you know, I, I mean, that first year when I coached in Spokane, I mean, right now, you know, I'm very, very healthy and a healthy normal weight from about 210 pounds. You know, I got down to 163 pounds uh, after uh, the Spokane Shock victory in 2010 because I just I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I just I just had to do it. And that was me, too, learning how not to be a micromanager, too, and right in stress and learning how to be a professional coach. But, uh, you know, I give him my all every time. So that, that helps me sleep at night. But, yeah, he says right about those uh, those losses. I mean, those will. You'll think about them, and as time goes on, it diminishes a little bit. But they'll pop in your head every now and then. Yeah. Uh, what, what What can you say about the the 2013 team? I mean, it was it was a it was a bad year for it for the Utah Blazers. You were seven and eleven, and also it ended up being the last year that the Utah Blazers existed in the AFL. Um, what, what can you What can you say about that team? Yeah, that was tough. I mean, that was tough for I think um, I was in a really good. Sp- a place for me. I, I really enjoyed uh, Salt Lake. I enjoyed the coaching staff. Um, I know Ron, Coach James, can talk about that uh, in, at length. Uh, what was mm-hmm. going on behind the scenes? I think um, there was change of ownership. Um, that was something that I felt for the second time. No disrespect, no disrespect to Spokane, but I felt again. I was witnessing. You get ultimately to almost the championship game, and then the next year, you think. You, I, you just you think professional sports is like this. You, you yeah. think that, hey, okay, we can do this all over again if we just put a little bit more funding into this, this, and this. Um, I mean, we had a really – I thought we had a really good team. Um, I think, you know, without throwing anyone under the bus, I mean, it's, it's no um, secret that, uh, you know, Tommy Grady and the ownership, you know, weren't seeing eye to eye and, and, and Tommy sat out. Uh, a number of games at the beginning of the season. Um, and Jason Boltis, who I grew to love and is a great person, um, he became our starter. But, again, it kind of was like not the season you thought we were going to have. We had high yeah. hopes as a coaching staff. But there were some internal things behind the scenes that me as an assistant head coach, I just I just wasn't in control of. So what I could do is do the best I possibly can do with – who we are given. And uh, it, it was tough. And I, I commend all the players that we had that season. They put forth their energy um, and effort. I, I Again, n- no disrespect to anyone, but right. it, just, it, it was a year w- when you realized that the Utah Blaze folded so quickly yeah. after the season. It wasn't a surprise to anyone based on what was happening. It, 
it's almost like you know we knew they were going to fold. It was a, kind of a dark cloud over the over the um, you know the team the whole year, and it right. just unfortunately a lot of players and you know us as coaches too. It was it was hard to get out of that mix. And it, again, another good learning experience um, for me. Um, it was the only losing season I've ever had as a part of arena football, uh, which is mm-hmm. really tough for me. But again. It was something I learned, too, professionally. And hopefully I'm kind of getting it out, the message, too, when people listen to this, that every year I've learned something. I'm able to kind of add it to the repertoire of being a better person and a better coach. But it was literally only can control what you can control. For sure. That's all I could do. Yeah, the good, the good thing too is, I mean, you gave you gave the, the the Utah fans something to remember. You did win your last game at home uh, at the last game of the year versus Cleveland. Uh, one other question I wanted to ask you about the about the season before we uh, before we move on here, Coach, is that um, because of uh, irregularity, other irregularities in Chicago that year, um, you guys ended up having to play a game on the road uh, over at the uh, the BMO Harris Bank Center in Rockford, Illinois. Just out of curiosity, Coach. For those who've been following arena football for as long as I have, they know the significance of Rockford, Illinois, and where the game of arena football got started. Had, did you know the history of Rockford before you guys played the game there? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, Coach, I'm so happy you brought that up because I really forgot about that game. But Coach James did an excellent job, as all coaches hopefully would is when you realize you're having kind of a crazy season and then you realize you're not playing in Chicago, you're playing in Rockford. I remember the bus ride uh, to get to Rockford. You're like, you know, a lot of players don't realize what's happening. I mean, you have to have, uh, as a good coach, I think, no matter whatever you coach or whatever level you do coach at, yeah. you have to have a good pulse of what's going on in your community. Like in, in your community as your players, players can sense BS, you know, players can feel like, Hey man, this is not what I signed up for. This, this is not the stadiums or this is not the food that I thought we were going to have. And you can lose them. And sometimes that does affect, unfortunately, it affects how they play. It affects how, you know, the output on the field. And so coach James did an excellent job of explaining what Rockford, Illinois means to arena football and turned it into uh, an opportunity of, hey, history and what we can do here. Um, I do remember the field not being quite to the standards of what we were used to playing on. Um, it, it may but, have but been the same 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 turf from back in 1986. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it's just one of those things where you're just, hey, look, we're going to do whatever we can do. And I, and I hate that sometimes. I think, you know, coaches, all coaches have been there at whatever level they've coached at where you're in a situation where you never want to look at it like, I just want to get out of here. I never right. want to do that. We put so much effort and time into these players each week that I don't want to get there and say, hey, look, let's just hurry this thing up and get it over with. So we did it. I mean, we did our job. We did the best we possibly could. You know, I remember giving up, uh, you know, not too many fans were there, but we, we did everything we possibly could to, to win that football game and, uh, you know, make sure everybody came out there healthy and, uh, you know, put on a show for, for the Arena Football League. So. And the cool thing is that you, in, in your entire, you know, your, your storied history, you can all also now say, you played a game where arena football got its start. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, no. um, uh, obviously, as we know, with the team folding in 2013, the Blaze folding, um, you are hired as the head coach for the Orlando Predators. And this, this same Orlando Predators where you had been let go as the, as the OC in, in 2012. How much soul searching did you have to do, coach, to say, you know what? I don't mind going back to Orlando being the head coach. No, not at all. Like, I, again, I think. I think people can get caught up in pride often in, in, in uh, professional sports. I think 
Um, a lot of people, uh, again, you want to have confidence, but there's a fine line of confidence and cockiness. Um, right. And you have to be r- very careful of, of not crossing uh, those boundaries. And for me, uh, talk about humility. Uh, I remember sitting in the apartments in Utah with all the coaches when we found out that the Utah Blazers was going to fold. Um, and so for me, here I am, again, all the way in Salt Lake City, not knowing what's going to happen, you know, fly all the way back to Myrtle Beach. And you're, you're really not knowing what the next step is. Uh, do, I, do I make a step into college football? Um, do I coach high school football? You know, hopefully the NFL calls, but you got to really for the NFL, you got to establish those relationships. And without knowing that many guys in the NFL at that time, you say, well, you know, what, what am I supposed to do here? And so, you know, at 32 now, I said, you know, it's a good turning point in my life. Where do I want to be? What do I want to do? But I knew that I was good in the arena football. I knew I was good at coaching it. I knew I still believed in myself. That time with the Utah Blaze gave me that confidence back. And I, that's why I really appreciate Coach Ron James. I mean, he gave me that, that boost um, when you do get knocked down every now and then. So what I did was I looked to see where there was an opportunity within the Arena Football League of who was hiring coaches. And I knew that Doug Plank was probably not going to be the, the head coach anymore in the Orlando Predators. I want to say that he was released. And I found out that he was you know, maybe not resigned or, or, or let go. Not, not, I can't really remember that. No one to diminish his name. But I remember calling the Orlando Predators and, and basically selling myself. Now, you know, Scott York, who I, again, will always be grateful for this day, um, you know, he was uh, the person who I contacted the Orlando Predators, knowing that he was a minority owner, you know, really big fan, had the ends with the Orlando Predators. But again, looking at the league, and the, the structure at that time, who was going to make a change, who was looking to make a change, let me call you and sell myself. Well, at that time that I was making these phone calls, I was actually working as the night auditor at a hotel in Myrtle Beach. So I was working the night shift okay. uh, from 11 to 7 in Myrtle Beach at a hotel. And here you go, hey, a guy who just won four out of six championships, you know, he's working at a, at a, at a small hotel in, in Myrtle Beach. And I'm not, you know, I'm not sad or, you know, upset to talk about that. It's like literally that's what you have to do if you want to live your dream. The minute you stop living your dream is when you get that full-time job. When you get that full-time job, you are now committing yourself to saying, I'm no longer a player. I'm no longer an actor. You know, I'm no longer a, a musician. I'm no longer a coach. I am a, this is what I'm going to do. And so I, I never did that. I said, look, let me just get something to pay the bills right now, something that I can easily breeze through um, and, and wait for that next opportunity. And so when the Orlando Predators who made a, um, a change into their ownership group, um, you know, the owners that I knew in 2012 were no longer there. They sold the team off. You know, they were looking for a coach. And I remember I had to go on these interviews and uh, the owner at the time, uh, the new owner that was taking over, um, flew me to New York. I took, a, I took a, a town car from New York to Connecticut where he lived. And, you know, I won him over there with an, an in-person uh, interview after, you know, maybe multiple times on the phone. And uh, I got the Orlando Predator head coaching job. And it was, uh, it was a unique experience because they were going through such turmoil and transition in their uh, ownership group in terms of how much was, uh, I guess, owed uh, in the community and then realizing what we needed to do to help the Orlando Predators broker the relationship with uh, ultimately damaged sponsor relationships and you know, medical bills that were kind of out. There was a lot of stuff that we had to do that you wouldn't think a head coach had to do. But also with the players at that time, uh, we made more cuts and transactions and release and trades in a two-month period uh, before the season started than any team in the Arena Football League history. From January and February um, of 2014, uh, we overhauled that, that team completely to then get it into the 
uh, I think the right uh, path of what I felt we needed to do to, to vie for a championship. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know that so you're talking about change of ownership. I know it was, uh, I think it was David Siegel became the new owner, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, late 20, well, think, uh, 2014. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. So, yeah. What, yeah he, so but before him was, a, was a, a gentleman by the name of Dave Pearsall. Yes. yes. And with Dave Pearsall. Yep. Yes. And so Dave Pearsall. And then midway through the season, the league uh, released him from his duties as an owner. And then it was league owned. Yes. Um, and rightfully so. Everybody that worked in the front office, which is only about six or seven people, I mean, bare bones type stuff on the Orlando Predators office. Um, they won front office staff of the year. And, and uh, all those people that were deserving of that award, I, I was definitely proud of because uh, to have an ownership change twice in one year, uh, have the league own the team, which means you're pretty much doing things on a bare bones minimum until another owner is found, um, to be able to make it all the way to the conference championship game uh, with pretty much a completely overhauled roster. Uh, I was so proud of everybody that worked. Uh, remember we were playing our games at the CFE arena. I, I was about to ask um, you we about that. We weren't even in the yeah. center. Yeah. 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 Um, how, how would you compare this team uh, versus the first time, you know, putting together this team versus the first time you were a head coach? I mean, were there any similarities or was it quite, quite different? Because the first time you were technically a, an expansion club, you know, when you were with the Spokane Shock. But now this was a team that's been that is a very well-known name in the arena football league um how would you how would you say that those two experiences and building of the teams differ from each other uh that's a great question the the difference is um and with all due respect to, to you know mr pearsall the difference is when we made a transition from the af2 to the afl with spokane there was support there from the ownership really right. where we just had to focus really on the day-to-day football activities this was um you know, with our front office group that we put together, with the coaching staff that we put together, um, who were all young buffs. These were all new new coaches. They were all, you know, not new to the game, but they were all new in the kind of this this level. We were right. doing a lot by ourselves. I mean, I was out there selling sponsorships. Uh, I was out there, you know, brokering deals. I mean, it was a lot behind the scenes. Uh, we were negotiating, um, you know, things with medical groups. Uh, we were we were doing the best we possibly could mm-hmm. to put together in respect, the Orlando Predator name. I mean, that's really what, when I first got here, I mean, really officially, in my opinion, as the head coach in 2014, it was, we're going to respect this storied franchise. And all the coaches that came before us, all these all-star players, all these awesome championship teams, obviously the fan base is still rabid. Like, we are going to make sure these people feel proud. So there was so much hard work and effort that went into it. Um, But yeah, then it was a different type of player because, again, how can you realize that you go from uh, you know, this team that had nobody on it because we had to cut everybody. We started from scratch. We really try to get as a veteran team as quickly as possible because right. we realized we might not have the time to teach these young rookies. So we went with a veteran team, mainly that player who was hungry and that did not feel appreciated, felt like he had a lot left in the tank or felt like uh, they – could ultimately reach the pinnacle of the arena football league if given the chance. And so when you're talking to him on the phone, you're doing your research, you realize there's a certain, or, you know, a couple characteristics and a couple qualities that fit that criteria of that particular person. And we were able to find that and we were able to put together a really, really good team. And uh, I think surprised a lot of people in that league to make it as far as we did. Oh yeah. I mean, Jason Boltis, uh, BMO, Bernard Morris, uh, Greg Carr, Khalil Payton, uh, Kendall Tompkins. Yeah, I mean the uh, the kicking goat himself, Mark Lewis. Uh, you guys had a great team. I mean, you I said you went you went eleven and four. Um, do you, do you feel that you had, could have had a better record, or but considering the situation, how this team started, 
you were happy with uh, with what your record was. No, I think so. I think was it was a twelve? I think twelve and four. Uh, eleven, eleven, and se- eleven and seven overall. And oh, eleven and seven. You're right. Okay. Yeah, and then you went one and one in the so, playoffs. Yeah. So we okay. So we finished eleven and five. That's yes. what we did. So yeah, eleven uh, 12, and five. Uh, twelve again. and uh, twelve and oh no, uh, it was, I was eleven and seven in the regular season, and then one and one in the playoffs. So twelve and six. Uh, twelve and eight. Gotcha. Gotcha. Eleven and seven. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. So the eighteen games. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. You know, and again, there's a couple games right where you could coin toss either way. Like I yeah. look at that every year. I mean, you could we could have been you know thirteen and five. You know, uh, you know, two last second plays or something that you get you eleven to seven or thirteen to five. But yeah, I was proud as far as we could take it. I mean, we beat Arizona, who eventually won the championship at home uh, that year. It was a great game. Yep. And uh, Cleveland, that was the game. That was the year that Cleveland just did. You know, the the cardiac kids. I mean, uh-huh. they were just doing you know great stuff. Uh, you know, all respect to uh, you know Steve Tun and those coaches out there. Um, you know, who just really took it very very far. And we just ran up into a bus hall in Cleveland and uh, weren't able to get it get it done in Cleveland, uh, but really proud. I am proud of the guys. Again, that's one of those seasons where Steve Tun, deservingly so, of, of head coach of the year, but it's one of those things where it's like people don't realize, yeah. sometimes in arena football, sometimes in other sports or any business, how much effort and hard work goes into it behind the scenes when you're not given the proper structure or foundation that right. some other teams might have. So I always give credit to the teams that, you know, when you watch, F, you know, you know, bowl championship series football, when you're seeing, yeah, these big teams are, should dominate these small teams. When that dominant, when that small team comes out with a victory, that FCS team early in the season beats uh-huh. that division one powerhouse. Yep. But you don't realize how much effort and energy in those coaches. I mean, again, everybody's putting in the equal hours, but there's a lot more that some of those coaches have to do behind the scenes. So I was really proud. I mean, it was really, I can walk away and say, you know, tip my hat to Cleveland. Uh, obviously, wanted to win the game and felt like we could have beat Arizona because we beat them early in, in the season. Um, but, but it's awesome. I mean, it really was. It was a, a great experience, and uh, again, a lot learned from a managerial standpoint in, in my eyes. So, you played in Rockland the year before. Uh, you had to play this year in the CF Arena over on the campus of uh, uh, of uh, Central Florida, right? Um, how bad was this arena coach? <laughs> I mean, because everybody saw what the arena was. I think it, this wasn't a, uh, the, the, the field was not, um, 100% accurate. I'll just put it that way. Just, I'll just, you know, shades out to what, you know, what Austin was when they were in the league. Um, how was it a hindrance to play at CFE that year? No, see, I see again, speaking from me, I loved it because that's yeah. home base. Okay. Right. Like that is that is that is home base. That is a place that I was super uh, proud of. Um, and you make it your own, right? Yeah. You make it, uh, you know, your home base. You make it uh, yours. Uh, you put your spin to it. You, yeah, we loved it. I mean, we really, really loved it. We appreciated it. Um, again, uh, Camping World Stadium did an excellent job for us. Uh, you know, for my time, I was in Orlando. That they upgraded their stadium, so we were able to practice there. Outdoor fields, indoor fields. We we did a really good job of having that relationship that was brokered for us by the city because of the history of the Orlando Predators. And then going out to CFD Arena, which is about forty five minutes, uh, you know, north uh, east of Orlando. And it's a lot of people didn't want to travel. I think that was a thing that you know I had to say hurt me, but I wish they got out there because they said, you know, oh, it's not the Amway Center. Yeah, it's the CFE arena and now we don't want to go down there because right. it's not it's not real arena football. But then all of a sudden we were winning and that look that only about eighty five hundred people could fit in there. And when that place got passed, I mean, it got rocking. It got loud and we won. And that's what I was proud of. We won back. Okay. 
I think the city of Orlando and what we were able to do because we didn't, again, people can tell when you're not enjoying your experience and when you're doing something and they assume that you're not going to enjoy it if you're at the CFE arena or, you know, but they saw how much fun we were having. The players loved it. They embraced it. And then again, the fans embraced it too. So I, I loved every minute of it. I, I really did. And then, and then the, uh, for the, for, uh, for 15 and 16, you're back at Amway. Um, your team, you mean 12 wins each of the year, but you know, unfortunately it was Jacksonville was your nemesis in the playoffs, you know, a Southern division rival. They were just your, 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 you just could not get past them in the playoffs for either of those two years for 15 and 16 coach. I mean, uh, is do you think there was anything else that you could have done better? I mean, as I said, you guys were a, a, a name and a force within the league again. Yeah. I appreciate you asking that. I mean, I give all the credit in, to the world, to those Jacksonville Sharks teams. I mean, those are teams that I, I mean, I despise. And you got to <laughs> love it because it just created such a rivalry. And how yeah. close me and Coach Moss are as people, it just it made it even better. I mean, it really was just great coaching staffs, great quarterbacks, great fan bases. You know, our new owners and Mr. Siegel, who, I, you know, I'm so happy uh, that came into my life, you know, his uh, his then hatred for the Sharks, their hatred for the Predators, it really was just a great, great rivalry. But I tell you what, I mean, when you have Tommy Grady and when you have Joe Hills, mm-hmm. I mean, that combination was just so hard for us to stop. And I take it again personally. I mean, those are as much as I would try to do to stop those guys and put the players in the right positions, it's always going to go back on me. I mean, we had some really, really great battles. And even though we would win – and maybe hold more games won in the regular season, they would always get us in the playoffs. And Tiger Jones would come out of nowhere. And, you know, all their great pass rushers, and they had great offensive lines. And, you know, it was just – it was tough. And, and I felt, again, where I could have done so much more uh, to put our players in position. I look at it where I should have maybe not worked them as hard to keep them more fresh. I mean, I look at all those things, you know, especially when you don't win the championship. But, yeah, Jacksonville was – was one heck of a team and I think that combination of, of those receivers and Tommy Grady I mean that was really really tough to stop and uh, but again you know you, you, you really learn from those experiences about what you need to do and who you need to recruit right. or sign to stop particular guys like that and, and that's the only way you're going to get it done yeah. um, uh, Predators not come back in 2017 and then uh, I, I want to know what did you do for in 2017 coach yeah, you know, that was that was interesting. I think, look, again, I think everyone assumes that, and a lot of coaches feel this way too, and I feel that, especially in society, that it's you have to constantly be doing something. And right. I think I, I learned that younger, uh, you know, in my in my time in, with the Orlando Predators, I, I'm just, you really overextend yourself, and you really find yourself in a position where you're not balancing your life, you're not in control of as much as you think you're in control of because you're always go, 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 you know, uh, just work, work, work. And so when another team folds, I mean, if you really look back at it, how many places I've lived in just a short amount of time we've been talking, it's it's really, you start to kind of wear you out a little bit. And yeah. so for me, I said, look, just because the Orlando Predators folded, which really kind of, that rug was pulled out from underneath me, um, I just didn't expect that. I remember my dad is such a confidant, and, and so was my mother, and I called my dad again, and I said, okay, you know, I'm, I just got a phone call from the front office of Orlando and they want me to come down and speak to him. And I said, you know, I, I don't know what this is going to be about. And he said, well, what does your gut say? I said, I, I don't know. I really don't. I, I don't know what to expect. And he said, well, there's three things. He said, you're either going to get fired. 
you're, the team is going to fold or the Arena Football League is folding. And, I, you know, none of those are good, right? So, nope. you know, the, you're, well, that, that can't be a good thing. And then come to find out, you know, I met with uh, Jared Saft, who was a team president of the Orlando Predators, who was a great person and, uh, you know, uh, really close to David Siegel and Westgate Resorts and casinos and really grew to love him. And he just was honest. And he said, look, we just can't work within this business model of the Arena Football League and we're going to have to shut the team down. And for me, I felt Orlando was home. I felt like I was finally getting a home, uh, much like Spokane was to me. I didn't feel like it was just kind of a one-stop shop like maybe Salt Lake was and, uh, you know, quick fix. So what I did, you know, I really, really fell in love with this community. And uh, a a friend of mine who actually ran and still runs to this day, um, which I am still a part of, uh, a nonprofit called Clean the World, uh, which is a, a great organization, had an opportunity that said to me, hey, if you want to take some time off of football, we have a position here where we think your you know, managerial skills and your sales skills will translate into this business um, if you want to you know, take a, a, a year off of football. And so basically what I did, I got together with a, a small high school in Faith Christian Academy, uh, and I started coaching there. I became the defensive coordinator of a high school, you know, and, and I enjoyed working every day with the, the kids. And then also I became the defensive coordinator uh, of a youth program that was uh, named after the Orlando Predators, and they were the Orlando Junior Predators. Oh, that's cool. And literally looked exactly like them. Um, and it, also all this worked out. So I ended up working for a company called Clean the World, nonprofit, giving back, um, and then at the same time coaching uh, youth football and coaching high school football and, and putting just as many long-hour days as I would um, you know, in arena football, but in a different capacity and, and really was able to make Orlando, uh, you know, home base for, for that year I took off. That's fantastic. Um, 2018, uh, a, a, what some may call the, the AFL 2.0 or 2.5, whatever, which, whichever, whichever part side of the fence you're going to be on. Um, the AFL is now down to four teams, but you do make, uh, you do make an appearance and boy, do you ever, um, what was your thought? Because I've I've seen the the fifty yard dash documentary with you talking about the return to Albany and the history, et cetera, et cetera. What what led you to head up north to be the head coach of the Albany Empire? Well, again, in this business, when I think anyone tells you that you know they've done it all themselves, that that's that couldn't be further from the truth, right? Yeah, you have. There's so many people involved, and there's so many people that give you the opportunity. Um, well, uh, actually, Phil Bogle called me, and Phil Bogle now obviously working uh, in, in the NFL, and then mm-hmm. a former teammate of mine with the Philadelphia Soul was also an assistant coach for the Philadelphia Soul. Well, the Philadelphia Soul ownership group, along with the Arena Football League, sought after uh, an Albany ownership group. I uh, was putting this together and called me in actually the middle of. Um, the youth football season that I was coaching uh, about October and called me and said, Hey, you know, there might be a team. Uh, Phil Bogle said there might be a team in Albany. You know, would you be interested in coaching an arena football team? And I said, well, absolutely. You know, obviously taking a year off, loving the sport, wanting to be involved in it. Absolutely. You know, I missed the professional you know, preparation and, and wanted a hundred percent to do that. So then the initial stages of the interview process began were filled in, gave that information of my confirmation to uh, Ron Jaworski and uh, John Adams, all people who are, you know, integral parts of, of the Arena Football League front office. They called me. We, I remember uh, I was actually uh, delivering something for Clean the World uh, to a local college here in Orlando. I just spoke um, at, a, at a local college called Rollins College 
was driving back to my office, pulled over and had a good hour interview uh, on the phone with uh, John Adams and Ron Jaworski. Then the next stage, about a week later, was to fly up to Philadelphia, where we met at a restaurant in the Philadelphia airport. Again, Ron Jaworski and John Adams for a second interview. Really uh, appreciated the, their candor in that conversation. And then the third interview was an in-person interview with all of the ownership group in Albany, where I flew um, to and met the, the owners along with John Adams and Ron Jaworski. It was a really great conversation and really got to know those guys well. And within a week later uh, in November, uh, mid-November, I was able to uh, you know say that I became the, the head coach of the Albany Empire and we were rocking and rolling back uh, in Arena Football League again. Um, you've gone through many different versions of the AFL. What was your, what were your thoughts on this new leadership group of the AFL? Because obviously, you know, Ted Leonsis was a huge, a huge part of it, uh, that, that we saw here as fans and, and for, you know, from, you know, but what, what was your, what was your thought on, on the ownership group and, and how they, uh, how they ran the business? Well, what I really appreciate and what really got me, and again, as I get older, uh, you know, 39 now, so about, I just turned 38 when, um, you know, I accepted the position uh, for the Albany Empire. Um, I realized, and again, all of the things that I've been through in my life, good or bad, indifferent, ups and downs, adversity, you know, trials, tribulations, you know, you know, exubilation, championships, whatever it might be. Yeah. You just, as you get older, I think everybody can attest to this. You just, you just feel more comfortable in who you are in your skin and, right. and who you now are as a person where the values that I wanted to associate myself with okay. really were important. And hearing what they said, you know, I learned that as much as they were interviewing me, I was interviewing them. And I, and I kind of learned how almost not to take a job. Um, I had some opportunities too where I decided to stay in Orlando and some college opportunities that I felt probably were not good fits for me. I learned how to say no and learn how to not just to take a job just because it's being offered. And so when I was sitting with these, these owners and the more I did my research and I learned about them, when I heard that the main objective was not to make money, but the main objective was to bring something to a community that was in need and void of professional sport and they wanted to give back it it like knocked my socks off I, yeah. I was so happy to hear that because that's how you know you have the right owners that are comfortable in their skin they're aware of what the arena football league is they know it's going to take time to generate a profit they know it's going to uh you know be grassroots they know it's about the people it, it, they know it's about the community and to hear all their philanthropic you know activities and all their endeavors and all the nonprofits that they're involved with. I mean, these are just, I, I, I mean, I tip my hat off to all three of these people, you know, Mr. George Hurst, mm -hmm. um, uh, Dan Nolan and Ed Zwire. Yeah. I mean, these guys are just amazing to me. So that, that spoke to me and uh, it, it was able to give me that extra kick of energy that I didn't want to let these guys down, that yeah. I wanted to make sure that we brought them a team that they could be proud of because I, they were just the right kind of people that I wanted to, uh, Again, I, I wanted to help in any way I possibly could because they were being so generous to their community. So third time uh, being a head coach, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, where you are creating a team from scratch, so to speak, because you, you explained how it was with the Orlando Predators back in 2014, except it's slightly different for you this time around. You know, what people will dub, you know, 20, uh, 2018 as the all-star season. Uh, four teams basically made up of, of all-star players that have that, that – you knew if you knew the league, you knew the names. 
how hard was it to get players to come to Albany? And what do you think was the main reason why your, your 2018 team came to Albany? Well, I, you know, I think first and foremost, the, the, the coaching staff that we put together in 2018 uh, with uh, Coach Les Moss and Coach Chris Thompson and Coach Bo Bell, I mean, these are guys who are indoor football, arena football guys. They know uh, what is expected of them. We put together our staff so quickly. And remember, we didn't know if there was going to be an arena season. That I know. Year. We didn't know if it was going to happen. I mean, here I am just getting the job in November, super pumped up, made a couple visits. I got to meet, uh, you know, the general managers and team presidents and everybody involved. Uh, George Manius, who I consider a friend to this day, just unbelievable behind the scenes and this uh, with the sponsorships and community and putting together a great front office. I mean, we had really something special, but make no mistake, we did have to build it from scratch. And as you know, just hearing my kind of life arena story, I'm not afraid of, you know, building things from scratch. If anything, I really do enjoy it because you're in control of putting it together in the foundation level of what it takes to win a championship. Mm -hmm. So when we hear that the season might not exist, all we could do is just make lists. All we can do is just call guys. All we can do is just do the best we possibly could to inform guys if there is a season, this Albany is the place to be, and this is why. And Albany, to me, is the same cell as Spokane. Albany had a lot of history behind it, but again, it was a place where arena football was going to work. Yeah. There's only so many people in the community. Uh, there's only so many things to do. New York City is still a little bit further away. Boston's far away. You know, there's no really big major football in the city. This is it. I know it's going to be big, and I know the way that I can sell. I know the way that I can get in the interview. I know the way that I can, you know, do what I'm supposed to do to drive business, you know, to our seats. I know that I was going to be genuine in doing that as well. So it's just a matter of getting the right players to believe in that. So what we did, and I'm telling you, and Coach Moss will tell you this. I mean, this is an unbelievable story. We were sitting in our apartment, and it was snowing. It was cold. We had... Uh, we did not know if the season was going to take place. And this is, I can't remember what day it was, but let's call it a Wednesday. And if the season was going to take place, it was going to be, decision was going to be made within 24 hours. Yeah. Well, come Thursday morning, we get a phone call that the season was going to take place. Well, we had 48 hours to sign pretty much our entire team because camp was going to start that following week and players needed to make the decision of how they were going to get to and from uh, and buy plane tickets and tell their wives and, and, and all of a sudden make a decision that, hey, I'm going to play football for this year. We called so many players. I mean, it was a call center. It was nonstop. We had a fax machine that we were running back and forth to. I mean, it, it was it was amazing. And to get the team that we were able to assemble in a 48-hour period, I mean, that's one of the greatest things I think that I've ever witnessed in arena football as far as behind the scenes how to actually do that, the work, the organization, the salesmanship that was able to take place, and really the players to trust us to say, hey, look, we can't have 15 different conversations over a 15-week period. We have to make these decisions quickly, so you're going to have to trust us. And I appreciate the trust they were able to put in us because uh, you know, we were able to put that team together and, and then uh, you know, have a great first uh, inaugural season. Oh, yeah. What was your what was your reaction, coach, to, to that very first home game? Because, uh, you know, you, you, as you said, so much history within within Albany itself. But not only is it your very first home game uh, very and very first game, you're playing the defending champions. You also got the legend touchdown Eddie Brown in the house, too. I, I know it's hard because you want to stay focused as a head coach. But 
Were you able to take in a little bit of that right before right before kickoff? Yeah, you know, I did. And I was able to talk to Eddie. And, and Eddie, I consider a friend. I mean, I, I really appreciate everything he's done for arena football, especially for Albany. I got to know him, obviously, leading up to that game because we did promotional things um, in Albany to get the fans excited. And then meeting Antonio, his son, obviously, yeah. we had great conversations leading up to that as well. I mean, that was a really great experience. But I also remember... Unfortunately, that was the uh, only time, uh, you know, that we were, uh, you know, as the as I was a coach for the last two years of Albany, that we lost by multiple touchdowns, uh, and it just happened to be the first game, and I never forgot that. And you know, for me as a Spokane Shockhead coach, my first game, we lost my first game ever, and I never forget those things. And when you put a new team together, sometimes it's very difficult in that first game. And I never use that as a crutch, but going in there. I knew there was going to be some things that we had to work on. Some guys had to get on the same page. A lot of these guys haven't played before. And then Tommy Grady, you know, only showed up, showed up about four days before. And then Coach Thompson and and did a great job, was the offensive coordinator, as Coach Moss was just the assistant head coach. And after that game, I made a change to make Coach Moss uh, the offensive coordinator. Chris Thompson, who's a great coach, needed to, uh, I think, you know, study a little bit under Coach Moss to get better. He was completely understanding of that, and he recognized that, and everybody getting on the same page. He, I mean, it was just one of those games where I think the pomp and circumstance was awesome, but internally we had to get right as a team. We had to get on the same page. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got our butts kicked by Philadelphia uh, that game. We had to make sure that we were coming in there correct, and then that was the beginning point, I think, as an organization to realize what we need to do how we need to put these guys in the right place, who really was, you know, you know, on the team to be here or to kind of end their career. You know, it was unfortunate. There was a lot of guys mm-hmm. that – and they'll, they'll tell you too. There was a lot of guys because we signed them so quick, they weren't in shape yet. Ah, uh, okay. And that was one of the biggest things we noticed, that we signed them so quick. And because they thought there was not going to be a season, they weren't training properly. And again, I will never, ever, ever say that they were the reason why we lost. But what I needed to do was I needed to make sure that the practices were getting them in shape. I needed to make sure to hire the right strength and conditioning coach, which we did. We actually hired um, a woman strength and conditioning coach, uh, Brittany Burgum, who did an amazing job. Uh, Hit it with Britt as an organization that she has um, in uh, Albany. She did a phenomenal job for two years getting our guys in shape. We were going there each week. We were getting there. We just, the team building was created because of that loss. But with all the pop and circumstance and Eddie Brown, Antonio Brown, all the fireworks and, and you know, the sellout crowd, I mean, 14,000 people, yeah. those players knew that they were in the right place. And it was yeah. just a matter of getting the team in the, in, the, in the right setting for us to put forth a better effort. We knew that it was going to take off from there. Now, the team ended up at the, on the top of the, of the league that year, even though, as I said, it was an all-star studded season and a lot of parity within the league that year. Uh, I think the easiest way to ask this to you, Coach, is how much do you really hate a two-game aggregate total point series now? <laughs> well, and I appreciate you saying that. See, this is where I come in. I hate losing, but at yeah. the same time, it was fair for everybody. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I say that. I, there's no excuses. I, again, I'll never blame any player. Uh, I will only put it uh, on me. But I will say this. I think when you beat a team, and this is just psyche, it's, it's just human psyche, and I know this, and I think a big part of my coaching is – to be the manager that I am is to find out what makes guys tick, to push those buttons, to help them be motivated, to find out what they're influenced by and so on and so forth. But to do that, you got to really know your players. When you beat a team, you know, five or six times, whatever it is in the regular season, and then you play them 
again in the championship and you beat him every single one of those times. Yeah. Naturally, what I was afraid of is the letdown. I was afraid of the the David versus Goliath. And they were 100% David. They had everything to, to, to gain. We had everything to lose. And that was one of those things where you just, that is such a learning experience, I think, in life. And we talked about that because I feel bad for a lot of those guys who didn't get to play with us in 2019, that that was their last game as an Albany Empire player, that it was that learning experience of regardless of what the playoff, playoff format is, whether you like it or you don't. Because, look, if you win, you love it. If you, if, you, if you lose, you hate it. I mean, that's just, right. that's just life, right? So it goes either way. But to really, really understand that every game matters, every play counts, don't underestimate your opponent, continue working through it. And even though I'm saying that until I'm blue in my face, it was just one of those things that I think the organization and some of these players, you know, they just had to go through. And I had to go through it because yeah. – Again, it was something that, hey, we're not even going to be put in this position again. We're going to use this and, and, and not look back on it. And great segue to the 2019 season. I mean, the Albany Fire, Fire but that's <laughs> the Albany Empire just dominated, dominated the the, the 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 Arena Football League that year, ending the season at uh, a at ten and two. Um, same type of playoff scenario as it was the year before, but as you said, yeah, your team had already had that experience in what happens. When you, you know, not necessarily that you looked forward to what's past the, 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 you know, past DC in 2018, but it, everything just seemed to be to go as smooth as butter for, for this team leading up to the arena bowl and to the championship. Uh, besides the record itself, coach, is there anything about this team, you know, 10 and two record aside that people don't know about? Because you know, people can look on paper and say, well, this, that's it. This, this team was totally dominant. They, they, they totally uh, you know, won when they needed to. They beat everybody they had to. But was there anything about this team that people may not know about? I'll say this, because you never want to diminish another team that you coach, right? Because every season yeah. is different. Yeah. But to really put the 2019 team uh, on a pedestal, going back to all the championships I won. And again, if you look at it, I mean, there was a nine-year stretch where I won four out of six, yeah. and then I'm losing in conference championship games on last plays of the game. It was like this this phase of just you're kind of – you're not getting there. You're just kind of – you're crapping out in the end there. You're just you're, – you're, you're, your airplane's just kind of sputtering as you get to the finish line. So when you talk about that hiatus, I had to get back in the right frame of mind for me personally – that I had to get better again at my balance, that I had to make sure that I get the right coaches in the right position in the right place. I think from a coaching staff perspective, adding Coach Dave Ewart, uh, another head coach in the Arena Football League that has seen a lot of success uh, to the coaching staff was huge. I think making the right roster moves to create a more unselfish team, not saying that 2018 was selfish in any way, but 2019 was selfless. These guys would do anything for each other, which then I felt and I knew going into camp, just after a week of camp, the camaraderie, the connectivity, the selflessness, uh, the humility, the humbleness. Uh, I, we had the right guys on the team yeah. uh, that really gelled. And they just, they were friends. They genuinely cared for each other. And I think the city too, with the mantra, you know, unfinished business, you know, to have that as our slogan, it really made us recognize that it was one to know every single week. It was we right. had we had a terrible sour taste in my mouth. We had great veterans. We had awesome rookies. It just 
it was perfect, but we had more time. I think we had more time to put a team together knowing that we were going to have an arena football season and we could take our time, study, look at the characteristics, traits that we wanted to get back to as far as how to win a championship. And um, I was proud. I really was. I, I was proud of the way everybody worked. Um, it was just, it was such a, a, a city effort. And uh, it was evident by, you know, how many people are in the, you know, the arena bowl and, uh, you know, have that again on national television to highlight that city. It was just, it was awesome. Yeah. And to win a championship almost 20 years to the day from the original one, it, it was, it was just a sight to see. It was, it was really a, 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 as you said, a very proud moment for the city of Albany. And I, and I think, and, you know, no matter what people say, I think it was also a very good moment for the arena football league. Um, coach, if you never coach another AFL game again, um, can you can you actually choose which of your five rings mean the most to you? Oh, that's that's so tough. Um, I'll say this: I think when you, when I look at all the five rings I've had, you know, three in the Arena Bowl, two in the Arena Cup, um, all of them were at a different capacity. You know, when you look at you know the, the Arena Cup as a player, you know, I was an All Star. I was the captain. Uh, a very very you know good experience for me as as uh, from a player mentality of being hey a guy that was really really leaned on to make plays and then when you look at uh, my ring as the arena cup as a coach I was an assistant coach you know again uh, a role player if you will um, and then an arena arena bowl as a player I was a role player and then I had two as a head coach one is a very young head coach you know one is an, an older more experienced head coach so none, none of them were alike I, and, and, and not to you know ruin the question I don't think <laughs> And I don't. I don't. I don't think it would be fair to myself to say that one means the most. I think the one that stands out is the one that is most, you know, recent. Right. I think that's fair, right? I mean, this yeah. is uh, something that is still fresh, um, you know, still, you know, celebrated. Um, but it, but to see all the, the all the hard work that was put into it, every championship team has those common characteristics where there's genuine love, there there's selflessness, there's there's genuine passion, uh, there's. Uh, an organizational structure that works. Um, you know, everybody is doing their job. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect, well-oiled machine. And when you know that you're having that season, you don't want to slack in any minute. And yeah. every single person is able to build and able to work even harder. And it just creates this this great snowball effect of, of people just doing their best at whatever their job uh, is. And, and like Bill Belichick says, right, do your job and don't just do it, do it well. And, and those are what championships teams are all about. So I, I'm so proud. I just think for me, the experience that I've gotten, you know, you know, 39 years old, I uh, will be 40 next year. Um, you know, a lot on the horizon for me, you know, obviously from a coaching perspective, I'm, you know, this is just the beginning for me yeah. uh, as far as the coaching world goes. But um, I, I do hope the Arena Football League comes back. Uh, I'm glad uh, that we were able to win the championship because if we didn't in the Arena Football League, I'm sure like other people feel, you know, what not only was your heart ripped out because the league folded, but also you feel like, you know, you left something out there that right. you wanted to accomplish that couldn't be accomplished. I'm glad that we were the ones who got to win it, um, just knowing me and how personally that would have that would have aided me without having the, the redemption to, you know, Mm-hmm. you know, get out there and try to win it again. But, um, you know, whatever whatever the future holds, you know, I'm definitely prepared for it. And I'm definitely prepared for it because of what the Arena Football League has, has enabled me to learn and, and um, you know, all the things that I was able to uh, to do during my time. Um, I've seen how you coach. Uh, I've seen your pregame speeches. I've seen the energy that you've shown on the field. 
and I, I'm sure many fans wouldn't know that I need to ask this question. Where do you get it from, Coach? I mean, where does the where does that passion come from? Where you know how are you how do you come up with those pregame speeches? Because as I mentioned before, that we were able to see the one that you did before the very first game in Albany on the on the fifty yard on the fifty yard dash series uh, mini so that was that was shot there in Albany. Where does it come from? Well, I, I think for me, I've always been, from an energetic standpoint, I've always had that. Like, I've always had, I've been very passionate. Um, you know, I always say this too, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a job if you love it. I think one thing, if I was to give advice to anyone, no matter the age, no matter the experience, no matter the profession, I, I really do think life ultimately is that much better when you're able to do something that you genuinely love because it's not work. It's not hard to get up in the morning. Hopefully, I do wish this upon everyone. Hopefully, people get to experience that. I know a lot of people don't, and I feel for them. Uh, you know, I, I, I really wish that upon people. So for me, when I get to do something that I love as much as I love football, and I get to help teach because I consider myself a teacher of football. I don't really know the word coach doesn't make sense to me, but you know, we're teaching players about football. We're teaching them and giving them the, the skills that they can acquire to take on to, to live the best life they possibly can live. You know, there's so much passion and emotion that goes into that to begin with that it's kind of right there on the surface when it's time to give a pregame speech. You know, I, I don't drink caffeine. I'm not a caffeine guy. Um, you know, that kind of does the opposite effect. It kind of it, it kind of puts me out. It gives me the jitters and, and I crash on it. So I don't do coffee or soda or anything like that. I, I eat very healthy. And but but it is it's just I, I, I just have a passion for it. I enjoy competition. That's another big thing. I like I don't shy away from it. I really love it. I think that's what I'm missing right now the most about it is I just miss competing. I love competing in everything I do. I love being challenged. I love going against great coaches and great players, and it's just it's so exhilarating. So, yeah, I do. I look at it like it's it's our moment in time, and every single game you only get so many to play or so many to coach in. So it just it comes out naturally, and uh, hopefully I inspire the guys to go out there and give their all. For sure. And lastly, if the Arena Football League never comes back, um, being the time that you had spent in the league, what would, if you were to run into somebody to explain what you've done in your life and your football career, what, what's, how would, what would be the one thing that you would say about the Arena Football League? Well, I tell you, that's a great question. I, it, off the top of my head, I, I really would say, you know, it helped me grow up. It did. I mean, it just, it helped me become a man. I mean, when you're, when you're a young coach, uh, and when you're a young player and you're able to have the opportunities at a young age to fail, to go through adversity, uh, both professionally and personally, when you're able to overcome obstacles, when sometimes things aren't set up uh, and you have to be the one that people lean to, to you know, create that great foundation that people uh, find refuge in, there's so much, uh, I, th- I think there's so many moments that it could go either way, that it could be a, a failure, it could be a success. And I never define myself based on those successes. I never define myself based on the failures. It's always, you know, what have I done, you know, with what I've been given in the moment? And whether that be a failure or that be a success, ultimately, I can say that I gave my all and I gave my best. I mean, I really, really, for the last 15 years of my life, have given the best that I possibly could give to the Arena Football League. Uh, you know, true and true, whether it be a player, uh, or whether it be a coach, a head coach, assistant coach, role player, or star player, whatever it might be on the team, I was always going to do my role. So, you know, looking back on it, I, I grew up. I mean, I did. The difference of 24 to 39 in professional sports is 
is it's a, it's a lifetime. It's the beginning of a career, and uh, you know it's it's you know sometimes the end of the career if you're a player. And so, was able to to uh, say that I, I generally grew up and, and became a man through the through the league of arena football. Hey, we'd like to thank Rob Key for coming on to this episode of the AFL Rewind podcast and telling us his. Uh... His, you know, his story about how he was to be able to go from player, and not for that long either. Um, you know, player in the AF2, head coach, uh, multiple championships, not only as a player, uh, but a head coach, and then finishing off his career as an Arena Bowl champion uh, with the Albany Empire. Uh, but obviously we hope he, uh, whatever he does in the near future, uh, Arena Football or not, uh, we wish him all the luck. If you happen to miss any of the previous episodes of the podcast, uh, you can actually go listen to them uh, on an archive uh, on multiple places over on the internet. Uh, if you head over to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and then the audio version over on YouTube. And also, I at least have to mention that if you happen to have missed um, the minimalist prints that were um, that were created by uh, by Curly Fry's design over on Etsy. Um, go check them out. Um, I think they turned out absolutely amazing. Um, I know I have a couple of the prints here myself that I'm looking at right now hanging on my wall. And I think it's a great way for, you know, Empire fans and for arena football fans alike uh, to remember the Arena Football League. And I'm, I'm hoping that more do do come out very soon. Um, if you ever head over to his Etsy store and do a search for Arena Bowl, you should be able to find them there. And uh, if, hey, and if you can, purchase one. Um, so we will be back. And we have some very interesting interviews lined up for the next couple of shows for AFL Rewind. Uh, and obviously, one of the most important things is, especially during this time, that we do hope that you stay safe and wear a mask and keep everybody else safe also. So for everybody here at AFL Rewind, I'm Tim Capper. Watch the rebound off the net.